This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, an action-packed show for you today. Unlike yesterday, it, it seems like we're beginning the day with some good news. Uh, we, obviously, as you've been listening here on this radio station or any other radio or TV station, they caught this uh, lunatic. As Bernie Carrick predicted yesterday, uh, Frank James, uh, they caught him and uh, he's in custody And it's a very interesting chain of events about what happened here. Now, one of the people that spotted him is sort of New York's newest hero, a fella named Zach Tahan, a security camera technician whose name I've seen spelled a dozen different ways in the last 12 hours. He is a 21-year-old Syrian who moved to the United States five years ago speaks five languages, and lives in Jersey City. Here he was talking to the media uh, yesterday about seeing this Frank James character. What happened is I was working inside that store. I do security cameras. And I was watching the street, like how I see how the camera looked. Like we was doing the adjustment. And I see this guy, he did the problem. And I was two, two days, I don't sleep when I see the people die like this from this guy. And nobody catch him. Look how many people have in New York. Nobody catch him. Like I was working inside that store and I catch him. That's good, something from the God. That's good, something from the God. And we catch him because we don't have to like kill more people. You know, and he was walking in the, in the sidewalk here, and I see the people walking behind him, and he have like bags, small bag. I don't know what he have inside. He bought it in the floor. I was thinking he's gonna do something here. I told the people, listen, guys, stop, stop, like please stop. Don't come to this guy. Like maybe he's gonna do something. I I see the police. I told the police. I told him this guy. He did the problem. The problem. Catch him, guys. And he looked. Oh, great. Oh, thank you. And he got him like this, and he take him the car, and now we are here. And thank God. Now, here's what's interesting. He's become a uh, sort of a cause celeb. They're celebrating him all over social media because he is sort of a a uh, a uh, colorful character. He's got a lot of great energy. He's got a great story. He's an immigrant success story. And there's a hashtag that's trending all over social media. Thank you, Zach. Uh, that are using people to share clips of the people using this to share clips of the news conference and and other things. Now, here's what's interesting. So he called. And it's not necessarily clear that his tip led directly to the police catching Frank's Frank James. So the reason this is important is because Crime Stoppers offered an award, a reward for information leading to the capture of Frank James of $50,000. Now, that's a lot of money. 
in an interview, Frank, Francisco Puebla, the owner, the manager of a, a hardware and garden store on First Avenue, he took a gentle little dig at Zach, whom he hired to help upgrade the store's security system. He said, essentially, he's all over social media, throwing his arms outward in a, in a gesture, apparently signifying bigness. But I'm the one who took action. Puebla said he saw a burly man with a backpack walking slowly up for First Avenue. He felt panic and feared calling the police because he didn't want to be wrong. I don't want to put someone in trouble. But when a police car happened, to, by the way, let me pause there. Let me just say that if ever you're reluctant, wondering whether or not you should call the police or not, and this includes on me, by the way, if I'm ever doing anything suspicious, call the police. Because better to be safe than sorry. Better to have the police question someone, even arrest someone that's totally innocent, than to allow somebody who is um, guilty of something, especially something serious like a mass shooting, to go free. Whenever you're wondering, should I call the police? Should I not call the police? My advice is always call the police. But when a police car happened to stop for a red light at the corner, Puebla said he walked to it, waved and said, police officer, I might be wrong, but the, the guy that did the shooting is right in the middle of the block. Moments later, several police cars converged on James just to the north. Now, a New York portrait painter, Lee Vasu, also said he alerted the police. Vasu told the website Artnet that after having lunch at a cafe on St. Mark's Place with his mother, he spotted the suspect walking. Vasu said he went up to a police car that was parked on First Avenue to point out James's location. And within seconds, police cars started arriving from every direction. Now, whoever saw him, whether it's Zach, whether it's Puebla, whether it's Vasu, I mean, they should have done it. And I think all of them would have alerted the police even if there was no reward involved, because it's the right thing to do. You don't want somebody that's uh, sh uh, shooting all sorts of people out uh, out by himself. Now, the but the reality is there is a reward here that has to be divvied up. Now, one person who's tipped to the police seems most likely to have led to the arrest of Frank James. The person whose tip most immediately led to the arrest of this horrible criminal was Frank James. That's right. Frank James called Crime Stoppers on himself Wednesday morning then calmly went for an afternoon stroll through the East Village while he waited for the police to come get him. A call came into Crime Stoppers. The guy says, you know, I think you're looking for me. I'm seeing my picture all over the news, and I'll be around this McDonald's. I want to clear things up. That's what law enforcement officials told the media. So the unit responds, and he's not at the McDonald's. So they start driving around and they see a man who fits the description. When they take him into custody, they find his Wisconsin driver's license. So the tip that was most accurate was probably Frank James himself. So my question for you is at 800-848-WABC, that's 800-848-9222. Who should get this reward, if anyone? 
Should the people that aren't Frank James split it? Or, look, would Frank James not have phoned in that report on himself if there wasn't a reward here? Should he get the reward? Or should it go to compensate maybe the medical bills of his uh, victims? Should they award it to him and then and then he has to pay the medical bills? I don't know, something like that. Who do you think should get this reward? I think all of social media, all the Twitterverse is certainly looking for this guy, Zach, to get the award. But I think a lot of people uh, can make a strong case for one of these other people, including Frank James. What do you think? 800-848-9222. Now, as Bernie Carrick said yesterday... This fella said a lot of bizarre things on social media, including very recently. Uh, this is a a snippet of many of the social uh, of the hate filled screeds that he would go on, uh, the hate filled rants that he would go on 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 social media. This is Frank James. And so, what I want to suggest in this video is that we should not embrace, we should not accept the white devil blood that we have in us because of the way that it was forced upon us. We should try to find a way just like Demi did in the, the, that scene from Exodus to uh, reject that devil that's in us, even to the point of, of committing suicide, so to speak. And yeah, we'd have to commit a, a form of suicide. We'd have to kill. We'd have to kill ourselves in terms of, we'd have to kill um, who we are right now. We'd have to, we'd have to sum, submerge Again, do a factory research, a reset on our whole humanity and rehabilitate our humanity and cleanse it out. Cleanse it out. He went further. Oh, well, you know, we're all human beings, bunch of bull****, and how color doesn't really matter. You know, that's bull****** also. Yes, color does matter. There's a reason why you have white people and black people on, on the planet. There's a reason you have... Uh, uh, so-called yellow people and, and, and brown and red people on the planet. There's a reason for that. It is, there's a reason, a reason in nature. That's nothing to do with what goes on in our f***ing heads. Nature has determined that we should separate out, and we have done that. The only reason we're together, blacks and whites, is by force. It's not by choice. And if that wasn't enough for you, let me play you one more uh, that gives you an idea of the kind of things that he was saying on a regular basis over the last few years. If the time comes, and I believe it will, when the majority of white people want to separate themselves from us and begin to create nation states within inside the United States, as they call it, secede from a union, and that was the reason the Civil War uh, one, of the, one of the catalysts of the Civil War was the secession from the union of, of certain southern states. Well, that's going to be, that call has been heard here recently. It's going to be heard, heard in, the, in the future, and it's going to take place. And it's going to take place. And I'll continue to remind you, if the, if the day and the time comes when we are ever separated from our white master, for real, and left off to ourselves... The time will come for another civil war. Now, he says a lot of other things, uh, mostly anti um, whites and blacks interacting and intermarrying. As uh, Commissioner Carrick mentioned yesterday, he took great issue with the fact that uh, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson is married to a white person. Hated that, went off on that. And so before this guy was captured, Mayor Eric Adams went on CNN 
and said that social media firms could have flagged worrying behavior from Frank James by alerting law enforcement to his vile online video rants before the attack. So he posted this string of videos on YouTube, racist diatribes in in which Adams was singled out, the mayor himself was singled out and threatened by name. In one uploaded just a month ago, James said he had entered, quote, the danger zone. And Adams told CNN the following. We are watching signs around us of those who are leaning towards violent actions and ignoring them. I cannot play a song on a social media channel that belongs to someone else without them identifying it. Why aren't we identifying these dangerous threats? Why aren't we being more proactive instead of waiting for this to happen? And this is where he went the next step here. There is some responsibility, I think, on social media industries and companies. We must lean into why we're watching these postings and these threats every day, and no one is giving an early warning sign to law enforcement. So I'd love your thoughts on both of these questions. Is Frank James entitled to some of his own reward? Uh, Who should get the award if not Frank James, the reward? And two, is Eric Adams right? Should these social media companies have done more to alert law enforcement? 800-848-WABC. You know, I would think, you know, my fear is there's so much censorship on social media, including on the YouTube, that my fear is that they're going to listen to Eric Adams and they are going to start taking off content uh, irrespective of the context, irrespective of how vitriolic it is, they're going to take off anything that's borderline and that they're going to take the social media and the Internet and make it even more censored than it is now, which I certainly would not like to see. But at the same time, I get where he's coming from. So I'd love to see maybe the police monitor threats like this uh, on on social media. I don't know that the social media companies should be in the habit of tipping law enforcement off more. But uh, I don't have a better solution, I'll be honest. I'm just sort of thinking out loud. I I don't like all the censorship on social media to begin with, and I'm not crazy about politicians saying, yeah, they should censor more, they should censor more, they should call the cops whenever stuff like this happens. 800-848-WABC, although I continue to think it's silly that WABC's YouTube channel was suspended Because I interviewed Roger Stone. Uh, Molly's reviewing that interview to see if he said anything that was remotely uh, inappropriate. We're still awaiting her audit on that. But I don't think that um, me talking to Roger Stone on the radio should necessitate a YouTube channel being suspended. And my fear is, is that if people listen to Eric Adams, it'll go even more in that direction. So give me your thoughts. A, who should get the reward? B, Tell me if you think Eric Adams is right that the social media companies had an obligation to tip off the law enforcement officials because of these threats. 800-848-WABC. Let me begin with Jeff in Brooklyn Heights. Hello, Jeff. Hi, how are you? Uh, I'd like to listen to you. Uh, You are a very informative program, always on, on mark. Now, the thing is this. First of all, I think all the victims should get the money, period, 
End of story. That's the first thing. The second thing is you've got to be very careful here not to deal away constitutional rights. We have enough of a mm-hmm. surveillance society. But the third thing, that there were all kinds of preconditions prior to this. There were all kinds of warning indicators. And I'll tell you what the warning indicators were. Number one, this administration, the prior administration, failed to put the police. How can you have a central station like 34th Street or 59th Street? The amount of gang activity and drug activity in both of them, and you don't have cops in the subway? You need two cops there 24-7, period, end of story. What are we paying taxes for, for God's sakes? This is crazy administration. You cannot leave the, uh, the artery system of this city Unguarded. Uh, Jeff, a couple of things, a couple of things, Jeff, and thank you for the call. One, um, when you talk about constitutional rights, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook censoring things, and I don't like it. Nobody dislikes it more than me. That is not a violation of constitutional right. Um, If you read the First Amendment, it says Congress shall make no law, right? It doesn't say you have a constant. It says you have freedom of speech. It does not say that you have a right to have a YouTube channel. It does not say you have a right to tweet. There's no constitutional uh, protection for a Facebook page. These are private companies. They can do what they want. So it's not a constitutional violation. It's problematic. If you want a further conversation, if you want to encourage discussion, it's corporate censorship. It's not government censorship. Two, um, I think that, um, look, As I said to Dominic Carter yesterday, you could put a police officer on every subway car, and I'd love to see it. Uh, You could put a police officer on every subway car, but if someone is determined to commit a mass shooting after throwing a smoke bomb around, there's nothing that police officer is going to do if they're determined to do it. Because, look, there are not enough cops. You'd need, forget about 40,000 cops, you'd need 80,000 cops. And it's just – I don't think it's practical and I don't think that's necessarily effective. Now, there's other things we can do and I think that we should look at security. For instance, why were the subway cameras malfunctioning? When I was talking to Carrick yesterday, he didn't want a Monday morning quarterback. He wanted to wait until we saw more information. Look, I think the MTA owes the public an explanation. Why were these cameras malfunctioning? Isn't that why they're there? As one caller called during 15 seconds of fame yesterday, why is it that every single red light camera, every single speed camera in this city seems to be working fine? They somehow, you're going five miles an hour over the speed limit, they're able to immediately detect your license plate and send you a ticket, and yet they're not able to have the cameras in the subway to keep mass shooters from committing mass shootings without without fleeing on an R train. Those aren't seem to be working. Why can't we take whoever the the mechanical and engineering and digital geniuses are that are in charge of the speed cameras and the red light cameras and put those people in charge of the subway cameras? I think those are fair questions. Uh, so I'm all for enhanced subway security. Look, I take the subway. And so I want a safe subway ride. But uh, I still think that uh, to say to say uh, to stomp our feet and say, well, they should put a, a cop in every subway train. It's not practical. And if someone wants to commit a crime like this, it's not um, it's not effective. I don't think I mean, it can be a bit of a disincentive, but. I don't think it would have stopped this guy, honestly. This person, by the way, with the more we learn about him, arrested looks like nine times 
has an arrest record going back 30 years. And, of course, like any uh, good person arrested nine times, still walking around just fine, was still able to purchase a gun legally in Ohio, no problem. 800-848-WABC. Hey, you know who's coming on the show in a bit? Uh, we're, gonna t- we're talking with Pete Dominic in a few minutes. He is one of my favorites. I used to listen to him on satellite radio. He's off satellite now, but he still does a podcast that I enjoy. Stand-up comic, very funny guy, very intelligent guy. He's going to join us in about 10 minutes. I'm looking forward to that. 800-848-9222. Jay in New Jersey. Who should get this reward, Jay? I I personally think that Frank James should get it. Uh, you know what? I mean, if you look at the letter of the law, I think, uh, <laughs> or the, le- the at least the spirit of it, I think his tip is the most valuable. He told he told us where he is. Right, and but then I, you know, I'd love to see if there's a way that that money can be clawed back by the people that he shot somehow. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I don't know what that $50,000 is going to do for him if he has to spend the rest of his life in a uh, federal uh, federal correctional institution. Although, who knows? Maybe he'll do the um, not guilty by reason of insanity thing. And uh, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, if he's I think he might not be around 30 years from now, but 20 years from now, he could start doing concerts in Brooklyn to sell out crowds like John Hinckley, who's still on Twitter, by the way. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Eric is in Manhattan. Hello, Eric. Hey, Frank. Come on. You're being a little tongue-in-cheek there with with Frank James getting the reward, aren't you? A tiny, tiny bit. I'm always you know? a little tongue-in-cheek, Eric. Always a little. <laughs> oh, my, my bad, of course. So, um, I don't know. Everybody seems to be overthinking it or underthinking about about him calling, you know, kind of calling in tip on himself, like, Maybe he heard that uh, he didn't kill anybody, and that I don't. Maybe that jarred him into reality. Like I can, I can, I can stop this. I can stop myself. Because you know, you know, you know all stories. I mean, they, they, it, so many times it's a call for help. You know, and this guy should have had help a long time ago. You know, so I, I don't know what you make of that. Um, oh, and, and Eric Adams, <laughs> I keep trying to get in. I get too, in too late to Dom, but he's on a collision course with these woke types. Because he, I heard he called. Uh, Dom Dom said it. He he called out Black Lives Matter, you know. Um, so he it's gonna it's gonna be a choice between him getting reelected. I mean, but you know, he, he like I said, I think they're gonna sabotage him in the in the media. Uh, Eric Adams, these these woke types, you know. Well, Black we'll Lives see. Matter, Look, so, I think Eric. You know? Um, and thanks for the call, Eric. I appreciate it. I, my belief, and I've said this from Jump Street. I think Eric Adams views himself as a national political figure. Um, I think he views himself as a presidential or vice president, presidential or vice presidential candidate come 2024. That's my view. Now, he can't do that if crime's going up 40 percent in his uh, first three months. The guy hasn't fixed the light bulb in New York yet. So by all means, uh, that certainly qualifies him for a promotion. But uh, I don't think I, I that's why I think so much of his messaging doesn't seem tailored to New York City. It seems tailored to a national audience. And if you look at the, I invited him on this show tonight and he declined my invitation. His his media appearances seem to be national in scope and he seems to be more interested in national messaging. You know, for instance, you know, when all those gay and lesbian groups called him out for appointing those uh, anti-gay pastors Bill de Blasio or Mike Bloomberg, they would have they would have folded like a cheap camera. Adams appointed another one. 
another anti-gay pastor. He said, basically, isn't New York great? It was almost like the bad guy in wrestling. He came to City Hall and seemed to welcome the booze. So um, he doesn't really seem bothered by the criticism of the hard left, whereas Bill de Blasio would have cried and Mike Bloomberg would have cowered. So, again, depending on the issue, there were a couple of issues like charter schools and uh, stop, question and frisk that Bloomberg didn't have a problem with standing up to the ultra radical left, but not the way Eric Adams does. 800-848-WABC. Leo is in New Jersey. Hello, Leo. Hey, man. A few minutes ago, you said that you're not sure if it's a constitutional issue, you know, whether or not we could prevent further attacks on the subway. No, 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 no. No, what I said, uh, Leo, was uh, YouTube, YouTube and social media censorship. I said that's not a constitutional issue. Uh, okay, fair enough, because my response to that would be, of course, it's a directly constitutional issue. It's the state and the city of New York that, uh, you know, abridge people's Second Amendment rights to defend themselves. If you ask me, you know, a lot of people out there have a sub one and a half second draw. You see someone pull a gun on the subway and all of a sudden you're able to deal with that threat immediately. Well, again, in this particular case, look, I'm not anti-gun. I think if someone's a responsible legal gun owner who hasn't been arrested nine times like Frank James has, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be able to purchase a gun. But I think that um, in, in this case, if a, there were a lot of armed passengers on the subway, that could have actually potentially made the situation worse because you couldn't see anything because there were all these smoke bombs. And I think that it might have been a, a situation where you saw some innocent people get shot because you well-intentioned good Samaritans might have been trying to draw while not being able to see through that cluster of smoke. Well, that's a fair point, but I will say that as if you are a supporter of the Second Amendment, I mean... Well, I'm a supporter of I'm amendment. a supporter of are all the amendments that? except maybe the 16th. Fair, fair enough, but as a supporter of the Second Amendment, aren't we to say that the, that the right to own and carry smoke bar, uh, smoke bombs should be allowed, shall not be infringed? Yeah, well, so again, I, I don't want to make this a whole Second Amendment uh, discussion. We'll we'll do that on a future show. But uh, the question, yeah, so of course he's got a right to carry a smoke bomb, I guess, right? Um, but Mike's my my answer was not necessarily about the constitutional uh, provisions of of carrying a, a firearm on the subway. It's more about the practical implications of what would have happened on this particular case. You had 29 people injured, and I think if you had well-intentioned good Samaritans trying to fire back through this cloud of smoke, I think more people could have gotten hurt. That's all I'm saying. And, 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 that, and that's a fair thing to say, but I think you, you know, you're right on saying that You know how many Cops, can you stay on a subway train to right. prevent such a threat? Yeah. Right. But, you know, well, how many of them are going to be plain clothes? How many of them are going to be uniformed? You know, it just gets to the point where, you know, at what point are you willing to abridge on certain Second Amendment rights in order to to protect some sort of overarching uh societal protection. Yeah, well, well, thank you, Leo. Um, I think a gun control discussion is certainly going to be part of a bigger discussion. And I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people that are gun advocates that uh, or you know, that are going to be saying, well, if we had more people with if New York City allowed concealed carry permits, for instance, this wouldn't have happened. And then you have other people that say, look, you're always hearing it's never the legal gun owners that are the problem, whereas this was a gun that was purchased legally, albeit not in New York, but Ohio. So um, it's it's 
a little bit more than I'm ready to bite off at the moment. But we'll do that in a future show. I want to squeeze in one quick call here before we get to Pete Dominic. Carol's in Jackson Heights. Hello, Carol. Yes. Hi, Frank. Um, you know, I, I think we're very lucky to have you on the radio oh. and you make such good common sense. Thank and you. what you said about him, uh, I'm sorry, not him, our, our current, and I stress that word, mayor, um, suggesting that he might be uh, looking for a, a political office uh, such as president of the United States or something like that with all his prancing around in his clothes and so on and so forth. I feel I'm a senior and I feel distinctly unsafe and and more so since he's been in, in control, so to speak. And, um, you know, we really need to have some folks around here with old fashioned values and, and stop worrying about the total niceties and, until we can get people feeling safe enough to walk down the street during, other than during the day. Well, Carol, certainly I agree with you on the public safety issue 100%. I also thank you for the nice nice things you had to say about uh, about our show. I also think that, uh, to your point, I don't think Eric Adams is going to be able to go anywhere nationally unless he fixes the crime problem. That being said, uh, I am seeing some very positive things from Mayor Adams. I think his police commissioner has been terrific. Let's just talk about public safety, uh, putting aside everything else, because he does a lot of Wacky things too. I think his police commissioner has been terrific. I think the emphasis, even though he doesn't want to call it broken windows policing, I think the emphasis on broken windows policing, which you heard Bernie Carrick yesterday say, this is exactly what broken windows policing is. I think that's important. I think the refusal to go along with the defund the police crowd, I think that's important. I think bringing back what he calls the anti-gun unit, which prior mayors referred to as an anti-crime unit, I think that's important. I think his lobbying in Albany on uh, on behalf of fixing the bail reform laws and his continued advocacy that this tweak in the recent budget wasn't good enough, I think that's important. So I think we're seeing some good things in the right direction. Also, some of the other people that he's appointed behind the scenes, people like uh, Jimmy Otto, people like Eric Ulrich, those are people that you would never see in a de Blasio administration. So um, I'm willing to give Adams a little bit more wiggle room than I think. And look, I didn't vote for him. I I was a big part of Curtis's campaign. I I contributed more than I could afford to Curtis. Uh, And I'm still hoping that he can turn things around. So if, if we're still having the same conversation three months, four months, five months from now, then I'll have egg on my face, hopefully, For all our sakes, things turn around. Hey, things are going to turn around for us in a positive direction when we speak with Pete Dominic. Pete Dominic is uh, one of the all-time greats. He's a terrific comedian, podcaster, stand-up comic, um, news commentator. You name it, he does it all. And he's going to join us straight ahead. WABC. Shines her light on the city lights And I got a kitchen room 
Those are the Stampeders singing Sweet City Woman. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing, uh, you can um, join our Facebook group. Just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O, Radio Fans and Haters. I'll tell you, uh, there are not a lot of reasons that I tune away from our radio station. We have a lot of great hosts. Uh, However, one of the few podcasts that gets me to tune away from time to time is Pete Dominic. Uh, Pete Dominic is terrific. He's not only a podcaster, he's been a terrific radio talk show host. Uh, a lot of great years on Sirius XM. I stole a lot of great ideas and a lot of great guests from him. Also, a very funny stand-up comic, news commentator, and uh, wears a lot of other hats as well. Kind enough to join us on the radio today. Pete, thanks for coming on. I'm a big fan. Frank, you say such kind things, and I am a fan of yours. I've been listening to the show in the in the podcast format, and I have really been enjoying it. And I am very happy to be a guest of yours on such a big night, morning. What? How do you refer to uh, you the know, time of day that you live? The one o'clock hour is always so tricky. I never know whether to say it's night or morning, and neither do the folks. But. Uh, well, I, I, I loved no hearing you talk. I loved hearing you talk on a, an episode. I think it was last week about your you and other people in in terms of living nocturnally, in terms of of having this weird schedule and 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 how to deal with it when you wake up and you realize so much, so many things have happened. I think that's what you were talking about the other day. So much news had happened, and I I can relate. I've I've done shows in almost every single time slot over my career. And it's this oh, this shift that you do is over. It's it's the best in many ways time to be on the radio, but it throws it throws your life and and you have a little <laughs> child, don't you? This is true. Yes, everything you just said is true, and uh, it certainly <laughs> it certainly can be a bit of a, a culture shock. Now, uh, P, I'm a big fan. I listen to you all the time. I subscribe to your podcast. Used to listen to you on Sirius. I've seen you on a bunch of other shows as well. Uh, for people that may not be familiar with you, I want to give listeners on either side of the aisle an opportunity to guard themselves against any any uh, hypnotic propaganda that you may be trying to slip into our conversation. <laughs> and I know you don't like uh, labels, and that's one of the reasons I always gravitated towards your show, because I don't like labels either. But how would you characterize your own politics, just so people know whether they should put an asterisk next to anything you say that makes too much or too little sense? <laughs> we want to make sure people can have all of their preconceived biases attached to anything I'm about to say about myself. That's what you're telling me? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Man, I used to describe myself as an independent or as a, you know, someone who was just didn't know that much about politics and and I I really didn't want to put out labels because I feel like you're generalizing. As soon as someone says, "Oh, I'm a liberal or I'm a conservative," the person listening makes all kinds of assumptions right. as to what they believe. But that being said, Nowadays, I guess I don't like liberal and conservative or Democrat Democrat and Republican because I like Earth One and Earth Two. Mm -hmm. That's where I'm. I like to think I'm on Earth One, where I don't know more than an epidemiologist because I'm a comedian, and I believe you know that Joe Biden won the election and that vaccines work. And once we establish you know some of the baseline things, which aren't liberal or conservative in my mind, they're earth one and earth two. Then we could start talking about all the other controversial and divisive issues 
Uh, but again, I always prefer to talk to the experts, the people who study those issues for a living. Well, same here. And, you know, one of the things that I was always struck by about you on the radio and now on your podcast, which I want to ask you about in a bit, is not only do you uh, cover a lot of great topics and not only do you sound great, not only do you have a lot of interesting guests, but you really know how to pace a show as well as anyone. And it's sort of your use of sound, your use of words, um, the way just the auditory experience of listening. It, it, it's really as good as anything else uh, that's on the radio. And I always wanted to ask you, who did you grow up listening to on the radio, if anyone? Because it seems like you have you've developed a uh, a sort of a uh, a talk radio trained ear, if that's such a thing. Well, thank you very much for your your kindness and your generosity, Frank. I actually feel the same way about you as I was listening to the show. I mean, you really know what you're doing. You're very prepared, and you've got all kinds of different levels in, in on your show and. So for me, though, I didn't grow up listening to anybody. We didn't have Howard Stern. In C- I grew up in Syracuse. So we had some morning radio jocks, but I didn't really listen to them. I didn't even really listen to, I, I, I'm always embarrassed to say, music is my cultural blind spot, but I didn't even listen to that much music. So I, but I was heavily influenced by comedians. And so I came up in the New York City mm. comedy scene uh, over the last 20 years. You know, I started there in the, in the mid, late 90s. And I think that's where I developed my sense of how to perform for any audience, which does extend to radio. Of course, the the weirdest thing was going from comedy clubs and headlining all over the country into a radio studio with, you know, with, with nobody in it. So you have all these people and audiences. I warmed up the audiences at the Colbert Report, mm. the Daily Show every night, the best audiences in the world. They're right in front of you. You see them. And then you're in a radio studio, as you are now, and you don't see anybody, but there's more people listening to you than ever were in those venues that you performed in. And you have to recreate that in your mind and realize that as I sit in my shed in Rockland County, New York, talking to you, I'm thinking about all the people all over New York City and beyond that are listening to us talk right now and hoping against hope I'm not boring them yet. Was that a difficult transition for you to make a stand-up comedy to to radio and being used to seeing that uh, that that crowd reaction to seeing nothing in real time? No, no, it wasn't. What's your next question, Frank? <laughs> um, in terms, in how did you become a talk show host? Man, that was uh, that was just a lucky break. I was. Uh, a pretty, you know, I knew all the comics in New York. One of my buddies, Steve Hofstetter, was hosting the show in Sirius, and it was a panel show. And he would invite me on the, to do panel, and I always did a pretty good job on panel. And then they were looking at Sirius XM or Sirius at that point; they hadn't merged. They were looking for a host for another show, and that show was fun, Frank, because it was I hosted as like a, a call-in request show, but for comedians or for comedy bits. So I hosted the show and I would take callers and they would request, oh, I want to hear Jerry Seinfeld. I want to hear Richard Pryor. And then you would play. You'd play the clips for me. You'd talk comedy. You'd interview comedians. And then that trans I, – I luckily worked really hard to evolve that into a show similar to now what you do. You know, like I had, I had a three-hour live radio show where I interviewed experts and took calls. And, but it was I – got, I got kind of lucky. They hired me to host this show on the Comedy Channel, and then it turned into – 
a show that was what I called like a public interest show, politics uh, show. No, that sounds like uh, that sounds like a, a lot of fun. Uh, let me ask you about the comedian that we uh, that we lost this week, a legendary comic figure, uh, really loved by everybody that knew him, Gilbert Gottfried. Uh, did you get to know Gilbert at all personally? And what yeah, kind of? Yeah, I knew Gilbert. Tell me, yep. tell me your thoughts yep. on Gilbert's passing. Oh, he was he well on his passing. I mean, well, let me just tell you about him mm -hmm. uh, and that he was a comedian's comedian. Everybody loved Gilbert. He was fearless. He was original and in and, and real life. He's kind and introverted and shy. And he had a lovely wife. Uh, I was at his birthday party years ago at Caroline's Comedy Club and his wife surprised him with, with a cake. And, you know, he became a father at a much older age of his career. But just a great guy and a super talented guy, and everybody loved him. And he was very kind, Frank. You really down to earth, kind. You could talk to him about anything. And he's one of those comedians who, one of the rare comedians that really made you feel like you were important when you were talking to them. Most comedians are just waiting to talk, right, and wanting to be heard. But he really, he really was the guy who you connect with, and he'd listen to you and and, and have empathy, and then make a joke at your expense and, 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 and cut you bad. And it was always amazing. Do you, you know, one of the complaints that we've heard from a lot of comedians, even high-profile comedians like Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock, is that the, the constraints to be PC and inoffensive today limit some of the audiences that you can perform in front of. Jerry says that uh, he'll no longer do college campuses for that reason. Do you find that to be problematic? No. Or, no. No, I find that to be so overplayed. I mean, listen, if you're a super famous comedian or person, uh, you always have to be careful. You've always had to be careful. And, you know, technology has changed. Everybody has a camera in their pocket and you can instantly put it online and then we can all judge and shame and whatever. But I, I just haven't found that. It's just never been my experience. I've been doing comedy 20 years. I performed at colleges. Colleges were always politically correct. They, you know, you, they never wanted you to get too dirty and talk too much about sex, especially, uh, and, and so on. And they still are to some extent politically correct. These are young people trying to find themselves and so on. But, but I mean, that's always been the case. And those guys all know it. They came up in, in those markets, those scenes, just as I did. And I just think it's a lot of, you know, I, I think it's a lot of exaggeration. I really do. I, there are some things that rub me the wrong way that we, we can't do this or that, but I've not had any joke of, of mine get me into career trouble. I think that you try not to punch down, you know, you just, if you, if you had a lot of luck in your life and privilege in your life and you're, you know, you're going after somebody who's in a wheelchair, you, you know, it's probably not great. Uh, it depends on, you know, and I'm not talking about crowd work. That's, you can do anything you want there. That's as long as it's not, you know, planned. Uh, you could still get away with, I think, what a lot of what Don Rickles would get away with. Mm -hmm. So I have complicated feelings. I think the more well-known you are, the, the kind of the harder it is because the far further you can fall and the more people care, but I've not had any problems, Frank. I, I've, I, you know, and I, I'm not uh, some meek guy. You know me. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm pretty courageous with with my words. I just, I just don't punch down. I think is the general rule to be careful of. And I'd like to think I'm not a jerk. 
No, I, I mean, as a listener, I, I certainly wouldn't ascribe that uh, that distinction to you. Uh, talking <laughs> with you, Pete Dominic, he's a podcaster and a stand-up comic. You could check out the website standupwithpete.com, and you'll learn a lot more about him, and you'll be able to listen to the podcast through that. How do you like doing the podcast as opposed to a live radio show? Do you like it any more, any less, about the same? What's your What's your kind of comparison to those two somewhat different forms of delivering entertainment and information. I like live radio better. I'm not going to lie to you. All right, well, I'm jealous of what I'm jealous of what you're doing right now. Well, whatever you feel like a late night, Pete, you come in and uh, be happy to have you for an hour or two, whenever you feel like it. You, you ever, you ever want to, you ever want to leave that chair, uh, <laughs> you know, it'll, it'll be like Pete best in the Beatles, uh, <laughs> From- Holly Pip and the Dutch. Um, no, I, I, I live radio is great because, we we have people listening right now to your show. They could jump in. They can call in. They can be heard. They can have their opinion, their voice heard. You you can just always just go to them when you have a lull. I love live radio. I love taking callers. I love meeting people from all over the world, you know, or, or the country, whatever, uh, strangers. I love that aspect of it. I love that you're flying by the seat of your pants. So you can't, if you make a mistake, it's out there. And when you do a podcast, it's a taped show. So you can fix mistakes. And when you can fix mistakes, it allows you to make more mistakes. And it's just not the same. It's just not as, you know, there are advantages career-wise and flexibility-wise for sure. And I love what I'm doing because I I sit in a garden shed surrounded by my gardens. I'm home with my family and, and my lifestyle is fantastic. And I don't miss, you know, working for some big corporate media giant. Mm. That's for sure. So I don't miss that. But that that moment that you're in right now that we are in and you're in the chair and the microphone and the phones are there and they're lit. There's nothing like it. Losing my job at Sirius XM was the hardest thing that's ever happened for me, which means I've had a pretty good life. (laughs) But I mean, you know, career wise, my career always was growing and expanding and getting better and better. And then within Sirius, I just kept getting promoted and, and re signed and more money and all of it. And then boom, it just ended. And there's no resentment or anger or bad feelings. That's the game. It's corporate media. They made changes. And I, you know, got a new lease on my life, frankly, when I started the daily podcast, which is a lot of work. I always get mad when I listen to these shows and the end of them, you probably agree with this. You hear like 10 different names, 20 different names of people. You're like, yeah, it's just you in a shed. (laughs) I've got all those elements. I got two guests a day. I got a whole news recap. I got sound. I got all the things. It's just me in a shed. I I love one of the things I really enjoy about your podcast is because I tune in almost just to hear what the introduction of you is going to be like on any given show. Uh, One one introduction might be, uh, please welcome the host whose body is a temple and whose bald head is the steeple. Uh, A host who would never tempt fate by angering the sun or those horrible gophers. Uh, The podcast host who leaves all personal content online, especially when it involves a backyard animal invasion. Now, I'm guessing you write these yourself. No, that's what's beautiful. But I would never write any of that garbage. <laughs> well, where's the where are these coming from? That is a super talented listener named Pete Coe. He's a voiceover actor who lives out in California. And the great thing about my show is a lot of it is crowd sourced. So music, bits, 
guest ideas, even guests. We have a lot of smart people who listen who come on as become as guests. But Pete Coe is like a musician and and voiceover guy, and he's really, really funny, and he's got this great voice, and he's just eccentric. So he just the conceit is there's a guy that listens to the show that writes the intro to the show. I have no idea what he's going to do. I just hit play (laughs) and I'm as entertained by it as the listener. That's the whole bit. I love it. And yeah, I have no idea what he's going to do. He does it every, almost every single day because I do the show every day. One of the things that I really enjoy about your show is that there's no hesitance about talking to people of different views, uh, having guests on that you might not agree with. And back in the days when you were alive, taking calls from people that uh, you might not agree with. And you would always tell people, think for yourself, always question what you hear, always look at your sources. And uh, I think that's a degree of critical thinking that's missing in almost all forms of media where People have gotten so accustomed to tuning to uh, left-wing media or right-wing media and then almost switching off the questioning part of their brain and just saying, oh, what does this person that I like say about this issue or that issue? Let me just go along with this. Why do you think the country has become so tribal these days, whereas 20, 30 years ago, it wasn't like that? Um. I'm not sure if it wasn't like that. It's certainly far different than it is now. And I think that there's, this is a 10 hour conversation, of course, as to how we got to where, where we are. But I think if I were to point to one thing, I I would say that it's, it's, there's a lot of fear and that, that fear is as a result of, of change. And people are really struggling with, with so and always have with, with that. And I think media has exacerbated it so much for, for money and for ratings. I think it's pretty simple that, that it, it's really the fault of, of certain types of media, certain media personalities that are good at this, that divide people to get ratings, to sell ads. And then the politicians, I actually almost blame less because the politicians just take whatever the the media is doing and copy it to get elected. Right. Uh, Because that's how you get elected to some extent is to divide people. I'm in a heated board of education election here, Frank, in my community. And I'm, it's, it's wild, you know, how it, how it's all working, playing out even at this level with the Board of Education. Obviously, we're so divided on everything these days. But I think that that's the issue. And I've always tried to unify people. And it's harder now than it's ever been. And I lose my composure way too often these days because I just feel like there's so much injustice out there and so much death and, 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 and you know, just all kinds of different problems. I think anybody can name several. But I'm going to keep trying to find ways to to talk to people who come from, um, you know, a completely different point of view than I do. But it's hard when when they're living on Earth 2 and I'm on Earth 1. Fair That's enough. Uh, l- let me end with this, Pete, um, and I hope you'll come back soon and make this a, like I always a regular ask every thing. every guest before they come on, like, moon, made of cheese? Do you think the moon... <laughs> 
Let's start there. See, did, I, I, did, did, I, the astro- did Buzz Aldrin land and walk on the moon? Let's I, start there. I seek out the guys that think the moon is made of cheese. That's maybe the one difference between us. Know, now, I've heard the show. I've heard your show. <laughs> Finally, Pete, uh, give me a prediction for the midterms. How do you think they pan out this year? Conventional wisdom has the uh, party that's not in power always gaining seats. You think the Republicans win yep. one house, both houses? What do you think? Yeah, I think that the conventional wisdom applies here to some extent for that one for that rule. But and I think that the other issue is, you know, Boar's listeners is the most important thing. But it's the districts and and, mm. and how they're gerrymandered, and there's still yet uh, remains to be seen how that's going, how those are going to be fi- finally drawn. Uh, the voting access is going to be interesting in terms of these new voter laws. If they if, if they do anything, and those are hard to solve for. My big question is have Republicans in these deep red states and districts overplayed their hand by passing laws like they have in Oklahoma yesterday. Mm. You know, I used to think we live in a country where there's a lot of divided divisiveness on the issue of abortion, but it used to be even the people who are anti-abortion, they made exceptions for rape and incest. These new laws don't have those exceptions. And so I wonder if that's too far. Pete, I'm going to have to end it there. I have to break, and uh, we'll let you get back to guzzling maple syrup. I hope we can uh, chat again soon. <laughs> How do you know my secret? No comment. Uh, Pete Dominic, uh, check him out, standupwithpete.com. The podcast is Stand Up With Pete. You want to comment on any portion of our discussion, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Well, it's a marvelous night for a moon dance with the stars up above in your eyes. A fantabulous night to make romance neath the cover of October skies. And all the leaves on the trees are falling to the sound of the breezes that blow. And I'm trying to please to the calling of your heartstrings that play soft and low. And all the night's magic seems to whisper and hush. And all the this is The Other Side of Midnight. This is a great Michael Buble. Uh, I'm Frank Morano. We'll not be here tomorrow. Uh, this is my last day uh, with you this week. I'm taking off for the Easter holiday. And I spent some time with some family. Going to go uh, down to Pennsylvania. And today's Thursday, right? Yeah, that means we're going to not only do the AC report at 3.30. That means come tonight, I can drink alcohol again. Let me tell you something. This has been a harrowing 40 days. Let me tell you. You know, my favorite was I got one piece of um, of hate mail today that says oh, you should go back to drinking because then you'd be nicer. Um, so, so the person said, uh, oh, go back to drink. Perhaps you are more able to dis- disguise your um, do have a drink. Have several, actually. Perhaps you are more able to disguise your hostile ways when you have alcohol in you. Drink up. All right. Well, hopefully I can disguise 
my disgusting ways again. Uh, by the way, if you're in Chinatown today, I'm going to be uh, gathering with some friends and family at Asia Roma, which is one of my favorite karaoke establishments. Probably be there around 830 in the basement. So um, don't come if you're a weirdo. But if you're a normal person and would like to uh, ha- share a drink with me, then uh, I'm not paying paying for any drinks. I want to make that very clear. So uh, you can come on down. Now, next hour, we are going to discuss the Shroud of Turin. Uh, We are going to talk with a gentleman who has studied this for a long time, Joe Responti. Coming up in the 3 o'clock hour, we have uh, Denunciations and Scott Cronick for the AC Report. And Marlena Shiva, always a a fan favorite. She's going to be here in the 4 o'clock hour. Don't miss that. Until then, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Good morrow, everyone. I'm Frank Morano, with you until 4.58.40 this and every morning. You know, it was interesting. Um, I've never been that crazy about Mick Mulvaney, uh, although I've heard these appearances that he's been doing on the, the Cats Roundtable, and uh, I've, I've been pretty impressed with him, not when he was in office or in Congress or even when he was the president's chief of staff, but since leaving office, I think he's... I don't know. He said some things that I find pretty intelligent. Uh, For people that don't know who Mick Mulvaney is, he was the acting White House chief of staff. He was a member of Congress. He was also the budget director, I think. He played like a lot of roles in the Trump administration and Congress before that. And he spoke to Politico. And he said something very interesting. He was talking about that there were only three people who could seriously challenge President Trump in a 2024 presidential run. He didn't say they'd beat him, but he said they would challenge him and give him a strong run for his money. That's what he said. Here are the three people that he named. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis could give him a run for his money. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott can give him a run for his money. And then the last one is sort of out of left field. Dwayne The Rock Johnson could give him a run for his money. And then he finished that list of three by saying it's a short list. By the way, there is one other person who could beat him. This is Mick Mulvaney speaking, not Frank Morano. Mulvaney told Politico, Donald Trump is sometimes his own worst enemy when it comes to campaigning. And then um, and some people have speculated that maybe Mulvaney himself might run. 
Um, so very interesting. Um, I'd be curious what you think, whether you're a Trump supporter or not, what, what you think of Mulvaney's list here. Do you think these three people that he's named could give Donald Trump a run for his money if Trump runs in 2024? Uh, 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. I think it's more likely than not that Trump would run. Uh, Again, I don't see Tim Scott, and I know Tim Scott is an impressive guy. I don't see Tim Scott being able to beat or even be competitive, quite frankly, with Donald Trump in a Republican primary. I don't. DeSantis is a little bit of a different story. I think Trump still wins a Republican primary, but DeSantis, if he runs against the lockdowns and Trump keeping Anthony Fauci around and Dr. Deborah Burks and going along with a lot of the restrictions they recommended, maybe he can make hay in a lot of red states. The big question mark for me is The Rock, because I think... Look, I know a lot of people have talked about The Rock running, either as a Democrat or Republican or an independent. But I tend to think that The Rock's best day – and look, I'm a wrestling fan – but The Rock's best day as a candidate is going to be his first day. Because right now, what do people know about The Rock and his his beliefs? Nothing. You don't know anything. Where is he on taxes? Where is he on free trade? Where is he on uh, climate change? Where is he on gun control? Where is he on uh, deficit reduction? Where is he on cryptocurrency? Uh, on almost any issue of consequence, you have no idea where he stands. And I know some people are going to try to draw the comparison between Trump and The Rock because Trump was a celebrity candidate. I don't think that's an analogous comparison at all because Trump was speaking out on a lot of these issues, trade, immigration, uh, uh, China, all sorts of things, criminal justice issues, for years, in some cases decades. And The Rock has not. He's almost um, stayed non-political so that he can make sure that he's still popular with all audiences. And what he's been able to do is pretty impressive. Go go from the world of pro wrestling, where he was a world heavyweight champion and the son and the grandson of of terrific wrestlers, Rocky Johnson and Peter Maivia, and then be able to turn himself into the highest paid star in Hollywood. It's incredible. Hulk Hogan tried to do it. Couldn't do it. Hulk Hogan was the biggest star in wrestling. And the movies that he made did not go over at nearly as well as the movies that The Rock made. Other people tried to do it as well. Andre the Giant, no bigger star in pro wrestling than Andre the Giant. Uh, he was not able to, he did a couple of movies, but he was not able to make that same transition as successfully as The Rock has. Roddy Piper, same thing. Jesse Ventura, same thing. Now, Jesse Ventura did, and I asked, you'll remember, I asked Jesse about The Rock running for office the last time he was on this show. And... Jesse Ventura said, no, he should not start with the presidency. He should do what I did and run for mayor or governor, run for a lower office first, and then build up a track record, learn a little bit about the issues, then run for president. So uh, I want to ask you that twofold question, and we're going to talk about the Shroud of Turin in uh, just a few minutes uh, because it is Easter week. It's Sunday's Easter, 
And I know a lot of people getting ready for their, their Easter eggs to being died and everything. Also, Passover week. Passover starts on Friday. So I'm curious how many of you buy into this Shroud of Turin and whether you think it's real or not. We're going to get into it in a big way. But I'd love your answers on these two questions. One, what do you think of this list that Mick Mulvaney put together of candidates that can give Trump a run for his money? Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott, and The Rock. And two, if you were to answer that question, whether you're a Trump supporter or not, who do you think would be Trump's toughest competition, either a Republican, Democrat, or even independent? 800-848-WABC. Tell me what you think. There are now one, two, three, four, five open lines. 800-848-WABC. Steve is in Manhattan. Uh, Steve's still celebrating from hearing Pat Buchanan on the radio Monday. Hello, Steve. Fire the censor. ABC, WABC audience loves hearing Steve from Manhattan. I actually missed that, whatever went on there. Listen, Trump. Wait, wait, wait. You, the the Go Buchanan Go guy, missed Pat Buchanan on Monday. Well, where was he? He was right here. Oh, he was on your show. No, that's great. I, but listen, I've been saying that for years to get him on as a guest. You know. Well, and I uh, mean, so Steve, what were you so busy doing Monday that the, the person that causes you to punk every radio show in existence, you couldn't be bothered to listen to his appearance? You know, I gave the wrong answer. I should have said, listen, I was listening to it. I was calling everybody to tell him that he was going to be on. And listen, speaking of guests, right, you should get Ann Coulter on as a guest. I'll tell you why. She is in love with Maya Tightsuit, with the Adams family. And, uh, I mean, that's like, I mean, that's material for a Saturday Night Live skit. And I, I think you should get her on. I think it would be great. But, you know, you look at this stuff that went on the other day. It's insanity. This city is a, is a nut job city as far as I'm concerned. But you got to remember, here's a great line from Steve now, folks. Everybody has their own version of good and bad. Remember that. Some people think what's going on is good. Now, I had to go. You ready for this? I had to go to a foreign news source to find out what the shooter looked like. Wouldn't that be the first thing they would tell us so we could identify him and and turn him in? This guy's a maniac running around. And I have noticed through the years, these clowns, these freaks, um, the crazier they get, the stupider they get. And they're also bad shots. I mean, let's face it, it's a luck factor there that they really are not good shots. Um, I remember the Beltway sniper case, and people remember talk radio. The man's voice you're listening to solved that case on the radio from looking at the TV. I said it was two shooters. I remember the chief of police down there. He went on TV, and he goes, he said, go to a website to see what they look like. Go to a website. What kind of nonsense is that? But the hard left, right, is, listen, folks, is taking a, is a wrecking ball going through Western civilization. I don't want to hear this stuff about Hochul and Adams. These are left-wingers. Anybody who thinks that Hochul and Adams is, doing, is going to do anything about crime is as dumb and as naive as the day is long. The hard left views criminals as their warriors in the street to disturb you. Your, your existence wherever you live. They want to get a lot of people out of town. They want to turn this into Detroit. Remember what I said? Everybody has their own version of good and bad. They want to just take over New York City, and and that's what they're doing. Now, if you look, seriously, if you look at some of the crime statistics that are going on inside this country, we know a lot of it's going on in the big cities, but the problem is these cities we know are run by lefties. The, the, the no-bail thing, I was on top of that when it first came out. All right, thank you, Steve. 
So, Matt, what happened? We just forgot about that Academy Awards music after a certain point, or or do do I have to trigger that, or what's the what's the story? Yeah. What do you want the procedure to be? You uh, you should trigger it, okay? Because okay. I don't know if I mean I might start triggering it, and you don't want it uh, triggered at that time. Yeah, I mean in general, I think once someone goes beyond a minute, we can start playing it softly, and then it should slowly ramp up. One of my other complaints okay. with the Oscar music is that it's been coming in too loud; it's drowning out what. People People are saying so uh, it, it doesn't become a cue for them to wrap up it becomes it's like we can't even hear what the caller is saying if they start hearing the oscar music slowly then they know like at the oscars that that's their cue to to wrap up we'll see if they know all we'll, right. we'll, we'll do that we'll, okay. we'll try that next. all right al is in manhattan uh hello al hello frank how you doing tonight pal oh doing fine thank uh, you excited to be able to drink alcohol again well good for you now, Frank, you just made a comment about a Democrat or a Republican becoming president again or whatever. I, I didn't really catch the, the whole thing. But it's infuriating when I go to a gas pump and I put $115 in gas in my van when I'm delivering my night routes on one van, which I run six of them, and you multiply that out. Why would I ever want a Democrat as a president that that mongoloid that we have now, and um, he's he's so uh, uninformed or misinformed, and we feel the blunt of this, or the brunt of it, I'm sorry. So anyways, I would never, ever consider a Democrat. Well, that wasn't my question, Al. That wasn't my question. My question was uh, to answer the question that Milk Mulvaney answered. Who running could give the president, uh, the former president, Donald Trump, a run for his money in 2024. It wasn't, who do you want to be president? I said specifically whether you're a Trump supporter or not. So that was the question. 800-848-WABC. Tommy on the Lower East Side. Hello, Tommy. Go, you can't go. Go, you can't go. Go, you can't. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. All right. Uh, thank goodness we don't have merit pay for for call screeners. Dave is in Comac. Hello, Dave. How are you, Frank? I'm going to say that Michael Bloomberg is going to get the nod, and he'll he'll give Trump a, money, a run for his money. Well, well so, I, you know, Bloomberg, I get the sense, is just sort of done with electoral no, politics. I don't agree with that. Michael Bloomberg, when he was in uh, New York as the mayor, uh, was really tough on crime. He had to stop and frisk, though a lot of black people at, uh, at the last election wouldn't vote for him because of the stop and frisk. But a lot of black people nowadays don't want the crime in their neighborhood. And based on what's going on in this country, including New York, I think Michael Bloomberg, the second go-round, is going to win this time. Around. You know, he's he's going to be 82 years old. I and don't think it matters because of because uh, of Trump and Biden's Biden age. Already in his 80s. Well, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. That would be interesting. We know he wants the job. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, By the way, I would never vote for Trump. I didn't vote for him last time. Uh, Trump is an idiot. When I needed to use the bathroom in Columbus Circle, his hotel, the Trump Tower, wouldn't let me in to use their bathroom. You're kidding, really? I'm dead serious. Oh, well, that's not. That's actually not a hotel. That's a, a residential building. Well, I thought that was a hotel over there across from New York Tech, and I couldn't get in there to use the bathroom. That's primarily why I don't like Trump. Wow. I would never vote for him. Never voted for him in the first place. I voted for Hillary. I voted for Obama. I voted for Biden this time around, but I'm not happy about the chip shortage because I'm in the used car market to buy another car, and uh, Biden doesn't seem to be doing anything about the chip well, shortage. And by the way, Swazi, 
speaks out of both sides of his mouth. He says in his town hall meeting over the phone with me and a bunch of the uh, Suffolk County residents that he uh, was in favor of raising the gas tax. Now, all of a sudden, he's running for governor and says he's against raising gas tax. Really? Let's get real. All right. Thank you, Dave. I think Swazi um, might be coming on the show next week. So there you have it. There's an important lesson for any of you that want to be president one day. Somebody wants to use the bathroom. Let them use the bathroom. Right? The guy would have had his vote. Do you hear what he said? The reason he doesn't like Trump, because they wouldn't let him use the bathroom at Trump Tower. When you got to go, you got to go. I understand that. 800-848-WABC. Scott is in Westchester. Hello, Scott. Oh, sorry, Scott. Scott has other priorities. Uh, We're going to talk about the Shroud of Turin in just a few minutes. Uh, I'm going to talk with an expert in that respect with uh, uh, with. Joe Responti, he's investigated and researched the Shroud of Turin for many years. And then we'll do the uh, the AC report with Scott Cronick coming up at uh, 3.30. And then we have uh, Marlena Schiavo coming here at 4. 800-848-WABC. Uh, Larry in Brooklyn, who do you think could give President Trump a run for his money in 2024? I'll tell you what I think. I think that... Um we have gotten such a fear from the prospect of Kamala Harris becoming president that I think a very competent right-wing woman, strong woman, such as Christy Noam of North Dakota, um, I, heard, I hope I got the Dakota right, yeah. and, uh, and, uh, or uh, Nikki Haley uh, would, would definitely uh, give, give him a run for his money, definitely, and I uh, believe no, it's, that uh, I'm be, sorry. You said North Dakota. It's South Dakota. She's from I South Dakota. I knew I would get yeah. it wrong. Okay. And um, so I also believe that he would be a consummate fool not to try to take one of these women as his running mate. You know, I think I think Christy Nome would actually be a terrific running mate. I think she'd be great. I think yeah, that would be that's something. My, that's definitely my choice. I, I also want to comment on something that that the Gold Buchanan guy said about uh, about them wanting to make uh, uh, you know New York into Detroit. You know, I think I think I know what's behind all these things is, is is I believe is is feminism in the sense that the black male has lagged behind the black woman in achievement, and I think because of that they're trying to uh, you know sort of like level the course, and you know that's why they're throwing all these bones to these uh, these so-called thugs. It has to do with sociology, the rap movement, the fact that certain ones were chosen for success, and uh, it all has to do with, you know, not alienating the black woman, who was a symbol of success, as we see with Katanji Jackson. Well, so, Larry, take, take me through that. Who is the they that you refer to? They are the left wing manipulators, the left wing manipulators. Those are the they. They look at things in a sociological perspective, okay? It's like, like the decline of a certain, the tragic decline of the black male in this country. It's, it, it's not a decline. They just never brought themselves where they yeah, should be. Yeah, Larry, I, I don't agree. I, I don't agree at all. Um, a, a couple things here. One, People tend to refer to groups that aren't them. And that's why I was so glad to have Pete Dominic on, because because I'm so sick of this tribalism of we're conservative. It's the left wing that wants to ruin the country or we're left wing and it's the right wing that wants to ruin the country. It just I have no tolerance for that. I'll be honest. But um, we're so accustomed to pointing to people that are not like us and saying they they want that. 
And the reason that's so dangerous is that it implies that the left wing is getting together in these secret meetings and they have these secret handshakes and they have this well-organized agenda. It's not the, not the case at all. And it's not the case on the right either. On the left, for instance, there are many different factors of what makes up the left wing. You have the environmental movement. You have the, um, the movement for single-payer health care. You have the movement for uh, gay, gay and transgender rights. You have the movement for a higher minimum wage, the organized labor movement. These groups don't all necessarily want the same thing. Now, the other comment that you made about um, black men being worse off now than they were years ago, or I forget it how you uh, phrased it, I largely agree with that. If you look at the report that uh, former senator and then former advisor to Nixon and Johnson, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, put together on black poverty in this country, if you look at the state of black America at the time of the Great Society as compared to now, I think, adjusted for inflation, the average black male, by and large, I mean, there's a lot more black millionaires than there were in 1960, but by and large, the average black male socioeconomically is worse off, um, and better off in terms of civil rights, certainly, but worse off now than they were in 1960. And I'll tell you what I believe the reason for that is. It's twofold. And this is why I'm, I'm I was not surprised that Trump got a better portion of the black vote than Willard Mitt Romney did, and I think more than McCain did. But I was surprised he didn't do better among black voters in twenty in twenty sixteen. The two biggest factors that I see for that are offshoring of jobs and due to due to free trade and these reckless free trade policies. And the and the accompanying demise of the American manufacturing sector. That's one. It used to be if you had a job in in a, in a manufacturing related field, you could provide for a family of four. Now, tr try and find one of those jobs. You know where you'll find it: Malaysia, China, Taiwan, Mexico. And that's due to free trade. And the other thing is immigration. You had a lot of black men, and I, I hate to make it a racial issue, but it's just the facts, of a lot of black men that were doing very well in the construction industry. And through immigration, we've imported over the last 40 years a whole class of workers that are willing to work for less. Less than what? Less. Less than a prevailing union wage, less than minimum wage sometimes. They're willing to work longer hours for less. And because contractors have now taken to hiring illegal aliens, those legal American citizens who happen to be black are left struggling to find a job, let alone a good-paying union job. That's, um, that's one, of, one of the factors, I think. But I don't think it's what you said at all, Larry. I don't think it's a failure to lift themselves up. Um. I think it's a failure of politicians selling out to multinational corporations. Uh, I want to take 
Another call or two, and then we'll move on to the Shroud of Turin. Joe is in Ronkonkoma. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. How you doing tonight? I'm hanging in there, Joe. The reason why I called is a little bit off topic. I wanted to wish you and your wife a very happy, and Carmine, of course, a very happy Easter. Um, I was trying to get, I Facebooked you yesterday about those frying pans. Um, I bought them, Frank, and let me tell you something. I had horrible experiences with them. They didn't work. But uh, the reason why I mainly called, I don't know if I'm going to make it on 15 seconds of fame. I want to wish my wife a very happy anniversary on Saturday. We're going to be married 17 years. And, um, you know, uh, enjoy your uh, drink that you're able to have now. I'm, unfortunately, I'm not allowed to drink for a while. My doctor deems my blood sugar to be uh, a little high, so I have to... Leo, uh, All right. Now. Well, good. I, I'm sure you'll have a happy Easter no matter what. Happy anniversary, Joe. Thanks for the nice call. Appreciate that. I uh, appreciate that. 800-848-9222. Uh, let me squeeze in one more call here. Don here in New York has been waiting a while. Don, what borough are you calling from? Manhattan. Ah, very nice. I like Manhattan. Okay. What's on your mind? Yeah, I think Michelle Obama could pose a threat to Donald Trump. You know, I I think she would be very formidable, honestly, uh, because like when Trump ran and like when Obama ran, she has no voting record. She's never had to take a controversial vote in her life, so she can take whatever the popular position is on any issue. I don't think she would run. And, I mean, if you think about it, why would she? She's making millions of dollars. She enjoys secret service protection. She has more influence than just about any politician in the country. And uh, she has the ability to elevate with one tweet a um, any issue she wants. I don't know what she gains by running. Mm. But, I mean, I agree with you that I think um, I think she would be a formidable challenge to any politician. 800 wabc Hey, uh, we're going to talk about the Shroud of Turin straight ahead. WABC. Talk Radio 77. WABC. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. The Other Side of Midnight presents. What you're about to hear is not a news broadcast. Perhaps you can help solve a mystery. This is the Murano Mystery. Well, I don't think as we contemplate the next few days when a lot of us are celebrating Easter, I know those of you that are Orthodox are celebrating it next weekend, but as we celebrate and commemorate and think about Easter, I don't think there is a greater mystery to wonder about and to explore than Jesus. So many aspects of his life, so many aspects of his resurrection, and one tangible aspect of his life that people have been talking about and debating about for years, and that's the Shroud of Turin. It's also called the Holy Shroud. It's a length of linen cloth bearing the negative image of a man. Now, a lot of people believe that the image it depicts is Jesus, and they believe the fabric is the burial shroud in which he was wrapped after crucifixion. Somebody that has been studying this and researching this for a long time is a researcher, investigator, producer, and director, Joseph Responti, and he's kind enough to join us in studio. Hey there, Joe. Thank you, Frank. 
I pre- you came all the here. way in from Jersey to be here. Yeah, it's not really not that far. Well, that's awfully nice. I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you being here. So, what sparked your interest in the Shroud of Turin? So, uh, going back to a childhood, uh, my uh, maternal grandparents had a portrait of Jesus in their bedroom, uh, based on the shroud. It wasn't a negative image of the shroud, but it was a based on the negative image that was retouched by an artist. Uh, and it looked very photographic. And this goes back to maybe I'm four or five years old, something along, along those lines. And I noticed the portrait, and I, I asked who that is. And they said, well, that's Jesus. So I said, well, they had cameras back then? And, of course, they laughed. Oh, no, Joseph, you understand. They, this is a miracle. Jesus left his image on the shroud. Uh, and... Once they told me that, that picture had a, uh, made an impact and had an impression on me that had lasted pretty much my childhood into um, adolescence and going into college, college years. Um, we also lived in, a, in an area called Rutherford, and there was a place called the Holy Face Monastery, which was started by uh, an Italian priest that came over, dedicated to the Shroud and to the teaching of the Shroud, so this was a place that was always sort of on the radar, uh, reinforcing the idea that, uh, you know, Jesus had left his image on the shroud. When was the Shroud of Turin first discovered? So when you say first discovered, uh, you know, this is, brings into the whole question about the history of the shroud. Is it really the Shroud of Turin? Because uh, according to the historians, and in particular, a historian that I have been in contact with for well over 20 years by the name of Ian Wilson, that the Shroud of Turin was at one point called the Cloth of Edessa, that uh, it was taken from Jerusalem. It was an image, it was a cloth imprinted with the image of Jesus that was brought by one of the disciples by the name of Thaddeus. This was some, sometime around 30 AD. Brought it to Edessa in Turkey. Uh, somehow, according to writings, there was a correspondence between the King Agbar and Jesus, and that Jesus had promised to send something to him, that Agbar was sick, he was a leper, and Jesus wasn't going to be able to come, but he promised to send something. Uh, And that something uh, was an image-imprinted cloth that the apostle or the disciple Thaddeus brought into the king's chamber. And what he did was he folded the cloth so that only the face of Jesus was showing it. He, he held it in front of his own face, walked into the chamber, and according to the legend, the king was healed. Immediately wow. he saw a bright light coming from the cloth. He then venerated it. He converted to Christianity and it existed in uh, the city of Edessa uh, sometime between uh, 30 and 200 A.D. When the king died, uh, the, the kingdom reverted uh, to pagan religion. At that point, the shroud, the cloth of Edessa, was sealed and hidden in the gates of the city, the same gate that was used by the disciple Thaddeus to bring the cloth to Edessa the first place. But there's no mention of the Shroud of Turin in the Bible, is there? So there is no mention of the Shroud of Turin in the Bible. They talk about the linens that were in the tomb. Uh, 
one possible reason for that was that the, the shroud was taken to Edessa prior to any of the Gospels being written, uh, that the shroud is believed, the cloth of Edessa, was already sealed in Edessa at the time that the Gospel writers, before the Gospel writers actually uh, started writing the Gospels, which was around 70 A.D. So it wasn't around, really, uh, for them to be thinking about. Uh, it also posed certain problems uh, to Jewish believers. Uh, it had been in contact with a dead body, and it had it bore an image. And those things, both of those things, were taboo uh, for the Jewish uh, believers. But it wasn't in sight. That was the plain answer. So as I understand it, the first record or mention of the Shroud of Turin is in the 14th century. Is that is that accurate? Is okay. that right? So um, the first time that it's called the Shroud of Turin is when it's actually transferred uh, by Geoffrey uh, de Charnay's family, Margaret de Charnay, the granddaughter, who hands it over to um, the House of Savoy. Uh, the reason for that was that she could not protect it. Uh, the House of Savoy was an established a very uh, you know prominent family uh, became the kings of Italy. Uh, she hands over the shra- the the cloth that she received from Geoffrey de Charnay, who got it from the Middle East. Exactly when and how he got it is not exactly known, but it is known that this cloth that was in Edessa was imprinted with the face of Jesus, the body of Jesus, showing his wounds. It's written about. Uh, it's a historical record uh, that a cloth, basically the same as the Shroud of Turin, existed prior to it becoming mm. the Shroud of Turin. Now, uh, if people are just tuning in, by the way, uh, we're talking with Joseph Responti. He's been studying and researching the cloud, the Shroud of Turin for many years. And uh, he's won a lot of awards uh, for his work on television, including Best Religious Series, Best Single Program, Best Special Event. He's received a bronze medal from the New York Film Festival for his work as an advertising agency producer and uh, as as a forthcoming documentary, which we'll tell you about when it's ready to be released, uh, all about the uh, the Shroud of Turin, which uh, I've seen a preview of and is uh, certainly pretty interesting, gives you a lot to think about. Now, as I understand it, Joseph, the Catholic Church, it neither endorses nor rejects the Shroud of Turin. Is that accurate? Yes, that, that's exactly true. Uh, the Shroud of Turin was the property, of again, of the House of Savoy, who became the King of Italy. It was the property of the King of Italy. Uh, it was kept in the royal palace, but there was a chapel that was built. So it wasn't technically in the cathedral, but it was in the royal palace. When the king was exiled uh, before his death, he uh, bequeathed it to the Pope. So it technically became the property of the Pope. But uh, the Catholic Church has never come out and said, this is the true burial cloth of Jesus. Um, They take a neutral position where that's concerned. So where is the Shroud of Turin today? So right now, if you go to Turin, and I was just there in January, you go to the Cathedral of St. John the Baptist, uh, you go towards the front altar and to the left side of the church, you will see a large, what looks like an altar, covered with a red cloth. Uh, in there is the shroud. It is stretched out. Um, 
inside uh, a case with inert gas to prevent it from being exposed to the elements. Uh, it's covered, and it's basically not on display, but it's it's resting in that spot. And uh, have you been there? And seen? I, have seen, you seen the the actual shroud? I know you've been to Turin, and yes, uh, but you've seen the shroud of Turin. I, I saw the shroud in two thousand and ten. I saw it again in 2015. Um, I was invited to the final mass at the end of the exposition in 2010 and got a very close look uh, at the shroud uh, during that time and again in 2015. Now, the images that we've seen of the shroud, uh, does it look that way in person? Are you able to clearly see an image of a face in person when you see it? Absolutely. Now, you have to uh, keep in mind that the shroud image that you're probably familiar with is the the negative image, which is actually a photograph of the positive of the the cloth itself. So the, the image on the cloth is actually a negative. So when it was photographed, the negative became a positive. I see. So that, that's the one you probably see and, and think about. But uh, the fact is that the shroud is a like a 14-foot piece of linen. Uh, it has the image of a man, full uh, image of a man, uh, head-to-head, the front and the back, displayed on the same cloth. And throughout the top and the bottom is a border of, of basically burn marks and holes that were created by the fire in 1532, uh, where it was almost destroyed. So, yes, you can clearly see the image, uh, but it takes some doing uh, to actually be able to focus and see the image. But once you do, it's unmistakable. Now, I, I know that back in the 1980s, there was some radiocarbon dating done on the shroud to determine the age of the shroud. And if, if I understand correctly, the radiocarbon dating found that it was not from the early 20th century, they found that it was from the Middle Ages, from between the years 1260 and 1390. Correct. That would seem to indicate that the Shroud wasn't from the time of Jesus. But do, do you doubt that science? Yeah. Well, let's, 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 let's look at the science, though. You know, um, and this was one of the things that uh, I was in advertising at the time. It was 1988, and I was walking down the street, and on the street corner newsstand, I see the New York Times with a bold headline, The Shroud Proven to be a Fake. Uh, You read the article, and and the article goes on to tell you how the radiocarbon dated it, and uh, it came up with those dates, and now there can't be any more, uh, you know, uh, thought that the shroud could be genuine and that those that once believed it was are like the people that thought at one point that the world was flat. Okay, so... Uh, so you're in the category, uh, if you believe the Shroud is genuine, of a flat earther. Well, so yeah, according to the New York Times, you know, and, and I grew up in a house that quoted the New York Times mm-hmm. like the Bible, you know. Uh, it was a legitimate source of information. But as I then started to look into it and came in contact with experts like Ian Wilson, the first thing that he pointed out was that any, uh, you know, radiocarbon dating laboratory worth its salt would not even allow cigarette smoking near an object that was to be carbon dated. And that's because it can contaminate the, uh, the subject. And here the shroud was in a very serious fire, was, mm. was partially damaged, was doused with water, 
that carbon-laden uh, smoke, you know, was uh, had really uh, impregnated the cloth. So it was not really a good subject for radiocarbon dating. Now, I also spoke to the forensic expert in Italy who was there at the time that they did the carbon dating, and he said that scientifically the procedure was a mess. Everything that they did was was probably done incorrectly, including the gathering of the control cloth that was supposed to be used. Uh, they actually told the laboratories, here's the control cloth that dates to such and such a date. Well, you, you're not supposed to do that. You you let them come up with the date. So, But other than that, I mean, they, they went in, the cardinal went in with uh, the radiocarbon dating uh, laboratory uh, representative, they selected the worst spot, which was down at the at the corner where it had been handled the most. And so uh, if you want to look at the science of it, the science wasn't done correctly. You know, radiocarbon dating can produce good results, but it has limitations. But the New York Times never told you that, nor did anyone else. We're talking with Joseph Responti. He is a uh, Shroud of Turin scholar, expert, documentarian. He's uh, met with uh, Shroud scholars all over the world as part of his work. So in your view, you believe the Shroud of Turin is genuine, and that is Jesus' face. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, again, it all boils down at some point to faith. You have to take a leap of faith of what you're looking at but all of the facts and all of the information uh, makes it very, very hard to, to believe anything else, you know, when you consider it. Um, you know, there is something about that image that is unmistakable, and it is unlike anything else in the art world or any other image that, that exists on Earth. Uh, no one has been able to figure out how the image was created. Uh, all of the forensic evidence seems to indicate that it does really date back much farther than what the radiocarbon dating, uh, you know, suggests. If people want to call in with questions for Joe, they can uh, reach us at 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, your your documentary, which I've gotten a preview of, it begins in 1997, essentially, right. the events in 1997. What's happening and happened in Shroud World from 1997 to the present day? So 1997, of course, was the fire uh, that broke out in the Royal Chapel uh, and the rescue of the Shroud, which was done by... There's a lot of speculation that was arson, right? So they haven't really ruled out arson, for sure. Um, you know, and I spoke to the director of the Shroud Center, and I said, well, you know, what do you think? Do you think it was arson? And they said, well, if, if it was, he didn't think that the Shroud was the target mm -hmm. because it was, he said, common knowledge that the Shroud had already been moved out of the Royal Chapel where the fire started. The Shroud was in the cathedral at the time. So uh, you have an off-duty fireman who basically isn't supposed to be working. His wife sees smoke uh, from the balcony of their home, brings it to his attention. He decides to go there. Uh, when he gets there, he finds that the situation is pretty bad and that uh, the dome could collapse and jeopardize the existence of the shroud. And at that point, he believes that their action has to be taken. Mm. The shroud is trapped in a bulletproof case. Long story short, he breaks through the case, removes the, the shroud, 
Uh, at that point, the shroud is taken to safety. Uh, conservation efforts now start to uh, unfold that had already been in the works. Uh, the shroud is um, basically the backing is pulled off. The patches that were put on during the 1500s are all taken off. Uh, and the shroud is now encased in this uh, inert uh, case so that, uh, you know, it, it, it can be preserved. Uh, essentially, it's then exhibited. Um, there's no really additional research in terms of carbon dating, but a lot of more research and a lot of historians uh, and information is still being gathered. A few years ago on Holy Saturday, I know they made it available for viewing on the Internet. Is there anywhere that you would direct people uh, if they're interested in seeing the best images of the Shroud of Turin to go online? For yeah, so there is a couple. Uh, Barry Schwartz has one. Uh, who was one of the photographers from the Shroud of Turin Research Project. Uh, there's another one by the photographer Vernon Miller. Uh, I think it's called Shroud.com, and those have some really fantastic images, positive-negative images uh, that you can view, and uh, and those are uh, available, I think, uh, without charge for people that you know, want them for various purposes. Mm, uh, no, that's, uh, that's interesting. All right, 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. If you have questions for Joe about the uh, Shroud of Turin, let's say hello to Joe in Queens. Hello, Joe. Yeah, yeah, Joseph. Uh, I have two questions. One would be, like, how did you source the writings about the Shroud, and was it was there an attempt to publicize it through the ages by the church, uh, as they might have done with some other relic, say so-called relics, uh, like with Saint Peter. I think there was the relics of him that they did publicize. I don't know to what degree. So, um, as I mentioned, I, I'm really not a an expert in the sense that I went and researched these documents, but I have been in contact with the historian Ian Wilson. And he is the one that went and read the original uh, Greek and Latin and French and whatever language uh, these ancient documents were written in. He did the research. Uh, he drew the material from that, and that's been published. Uh, so that's really been a, my source material, not the, the documents themselves. Uh, in terms of the church, like uh, I said earlier, the church takes a very neutral stance uh, there was a priest uh, in Portchester uh, that had developed a shroud center, and uh, his name was Father Peter Rinaldi. He wrote a book. He was the first person to publish a book on the shroud, uh, being a priest, but he was also a, a, a scholar. Uh, but I think that's the closest there might be to the church publishing anything or admitting anything, uh, you know, Regarding the shroud. And so the fellow that saved the shroud from that fire in 1997, Mario Tramator, I mean, it's a really uh, heroic thing he did from a global historical perspective, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the really fascinating thing for me was that this fire in 97 was almost identical to what happened in 1532 when the, the shroud was almost destroyed, but it was rescued by a blacksmith. And the, the, the same thing happened here, in this case, rescued by a fireman. Um, you know, I went to Turin to meet him, to, to hear about his story directly. 
Uh, and it is it was definitely a heroic act because there was marble and pieces of the dome that were falling in mm. the vicinity where he was working, uh, and he was told that basically you you can die doing this, uh, and uh, they were trying to come up with a way to not, uh, you know, go that route. But according to him, that's what they had to do. What is the next step in sort of? exploring the mystery of the Shroud of Turin, or are we left basically where we are now in perpetuity? I know there was some attempts to extrapolate the image and uh, piece together the face of what Jesus might have looked like based on the image that's captured in the Shroud of Turin, but what's next in Shroud of Turin, scholarship, exploration, curiosity? Well, that's a good question. I'm probably not the the most qualified to answer that, but uh, the church would have to give, the Pope in specifically, would have to give permission to continue to do some kind of research, maybe another uh, carbon dating or another type of dating, uh, something along those lines. I, I think that the research that's being done now has to do with the image itself. There have been these uh, 3D, um, you know, creations uh, based on the, on the shroud image uh, that's been going on. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't really know what the next step is, but, um, you know, there's a lot of evidence that's still out there that really people are not aware of. Let me and, squeeze in one more quick call here. Tom is in Manhattan. Hello, Tom. Yeah, Frank. Thanks for the call. I'm sure you guess knows Barry Schwartz uh, well. Barry Schwartz has done so much work on it since the 70s up to now. His site, you mentioned it, Shroud. Dot com. They used a, what they call a VP8 analyzer. There was a physical interaction with the body and the cloth when Jesus was resurrected. And to create that image, you would have needed like billions of watts. And that proves that it was something other than mere mortals that created it. And again, the blood type on it is AB, and that's been verified. Right. Yeah, the, the blood has been verified. And what's the significance, and thank you, Tom, what's the significance of that, of the blood, of the blood type? Well, I mean, it's the, the fact that it is the most common type in the Middle East, but the fact that it can be identified as blood, I think, is the real, is the real thing. Uh, regarding the, the VP image analyzer, that was John Jackson, uh, who was a physicist who used to work with NASA, uh, he's the one that took a photograph of the shroud that possibly Barry took and put it through the uh, image analyzer, and it created a three-dimensional image, which most photographs won't do mm. that. Mm. Um, but Barry Barry is one of the photographers. Uh, I'm not sure if I have his website right, but Barry Schwartz and Vernon Miller are, are the two probably most prominent. Absolutely fascinating. Uh, Joe, I really appreciate the time this morning. Appreciate you making the trip all the way in from New Jersey. Let's do this again when the documentary is out. Absolutely. Thank you very much. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, give me a call. 1-800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Oh! 
This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Hey, by the way, uh, since this is my last time being with you on the radio for the week, until Sunday anyway, uh, I'll remind you, and we'll talk about this a little bit more on Monday, but uh, Monday is tax day. It's usually the 15th, but now it's... Now it's pretty much always the 18th, but um, be sure if you haven't gotten your taxes done yet, I would work on it over the weekend, you know, or file an extension. So we did our taxes and uh, we owe the state, I, I don't know, something like $2,000, but then we're getting money back from the federal government. So we have a net a net um, refund, but when we file on the 18th, we're still going to have to lay out. $2,000, which is not pleasant, and then I'll get the money back when the federal government gets around to giving us our refund. And I know they can certainly take their sweet time when it comes to giving people back their money. So uh, so that's that. i got to make sure there's enough money in my checking account for the – I think – actually, yeah, because we're getting paid tomorrow, so that's all good. Now, uh, today is also a banner day for those of us that follow talk radio. Because in nine hours, the Talkers Magazine Heavy 100 list comes out of the most important radio talk show host in America. Now, this is really interesting. I made the list for the first time last year. I was number 94, so I'm hoping to make it again this year. And I have a pretty pretty good feeling that I will. I mean, our ratings are a lot higher than they were a year ago. And uh, we're being heard by a lot more people than we were a year ago. So if we made it a year ago, I have to think that we're going to make it again this year. And hopefully we'll be even higher than 94. But honestly, just to make it would be delightful. So we'll see. Uh, We'll see where that goes. If you want to check out the list when it comes out, it'll be online at talkers.com. And as I said, it gets uh, unveiled around noon. You know, I was hoping, because now that I'm done with with Lent and I can drink and eat again, uh, I've, you know, I always slim down a little bit for Lent, which, because, you know, you're not drinking, you're not eating anything, and you you tend to get a bit thinner. So I'm almost at a point where I'm comfortable being photographed, right? And it's just as well because, you know, I'm getting together with a lot of family this weekend. I get together with all my cousins and my aunt and my uncle on um, on Good Friday, my siblings on Holy Thursday, and, uh, you know, some other family on Easter Sunday. But my barber is booked up. He only had one available time slot for me on Friday, and I'm going to be in Pennsylvania. And then one available time slot for me on Saturday, and I'm taking uh, my wife to uh, a show for her birthday. So I can't get a haircut until Tuesday. So I'm going to continue avoiding being photographed until I can get a haircut and look almost human. Coming up in just a minute, we're going to have denunciations, and then we have the AC report with Scott Cronick. He's a fan favorite. Speaking of fan favorites, Marlena Shivo is going to be here. And uh, we'll take your calls as well, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Uh, until then, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Hey, I want to thank Vinny Recuglia. Uh, Recuglia is a, re- is a legend. He's something of um, a legend in the funeral parlor business. I-, I don't even know where to begin when it comes to describing Vincent Recuglia. One day when a guest cancels on me and I have a free hour, I will do my best to try to explain Vincent Recuglia. But there's really no way to explain Vincent Recuglia. You just have to experience Vincent Recuglia. Now, he dropped off for us, and it was just given to me now. He was dropped off for us. He dropped off for us um, some cookies, which I'm going to put out in the kitchen, and then some lard bread, which I'm going to take home, which is something, one of those old school New York foods that you don't see anywhere. And I was explaining to our staff on Friday as we were waiting before our weekly Friday meeting that I would show up at places and Vincent Recuglia would just have bread waiting for me. Also as a gift for young Carmine uh, from what it looks like for Easter. So that's very nice. Now, we've been trying to get Vincent Recuglia's address because the address that I had for him came back. We sent him a thank you for a previous gift and it came back. So we asked Philippe to do it. And look, there's a reason Philippe is only a fill-in, and he's not permanent. He was not able to take down that address accurately. So, Vinny Recuglia, if you're around, please call Molly and give us your address so that we can reach out to you once more. Without further ado, uh, these the people I'm about to list are the opposite of Vincent Recuglia. They are um, people worthy of condemnation people that have done something bad as people that have fallen short of my expectations it is time once again for the other side of midnight presents denunciations ah yes let me begin by denouncing the dsa the democratic socialists of america you know Right after this guy was caught, they put out a tweet, and it was up for hours, and everyone was making a mockery of it, so they deleted it. But they put up a tweet essentially saying, well, we we had 40,000 police officers all looking for this guy, and the person that uh, that found him was a retail worker? Go, Zach! They... I mean, it was ridiculous. All the police work to, I, I mean, I'm paraphrasing the tweet. I think it was even more disrespectful and dismissive of the police than I'm making it sound. But all the police work to identify this suspect and get his photo out to the public was meaningless. I found this tweet so incredibly insulting and I found it to be idiotic. In terms of messaging, I mean, are you really attracted to a cause? Let's say you are a socialist. My brother's uh, a Marxist. If you are a socialist, would you ever be attracted to a cause that's so interested in demonizing police like that? Uh, I don't I don't know about you, but it's not for me. Um, I don't want to make this too political, but I also have to denounce the former mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio. A judge said that the Trump organization 
can continue to operate a city-owned Bronx golf course. Now, after de Blasio broke the contract, so former Mayor de Blasio terminated the Trump organization's, uh, the Trump company's contract for the Ferry Point golf course last year, citing the former president's role in stirring up the riot at the Capitol. Now, the city, in some very contorted legal argument, the city tried to argue that the Trump name and by association the golf course was tarnished as a result of the January 6th in, uh, uh, um, incident at the White House and would not be able to profit or to operate tournaments, which city lawyers claimed was a requirement under the Trump organization's 20-year contract. The Trump organization, meanwhile, maintained it had a right to stay or it was entitled to a $30 million contract termination fee if removed. In her decision, the judge, Deborah James, a Democrat, by the way, Democratic judge, agreed that the contract is unambiguous in that the Trump organization shall operate world-class tournaments, but not that it requires them to attract professional golf tournaments. So she vacated the city's termination of contracts and sent the matter back to the city parks department. And all I could think in reading the judge's decision, one, I mean, the amount of money the taxpayers have wasted trying to allow Bill de Blasio to score a cheap political point by playing to the cheap seats against Donald Trump. I I mean, really reprehensible. And the contract calls for, if the contract is terminated, for Trump to be paid $30 million by the taxpayers anyway. So if de Blasio won, he probably still would have had to pay the Trump organization $30 million. I mean, you talk about a waste of taxpayer money. Jeez. I want to denounce Jason Nunez. Jason Nunez has been arrested in Brooklyn, thankfully. 27-year-old, this Gavon. This fellow was arrested for packing nearly 30 dogs into a Brooklyn home, leading to the deaths of one of, uh, of one of these dogs, of, of one of the dogs. The authorities found 28 dogs of various breeds in his apartment in Bed-Stuy. Many of them lacked access to food or clean water. They lived in crates covered in feces and urine. A number of the dogs were dehydrated, underweight, and suffered from medical issues, including open wounds, ear and skin infections, overgrown nails, and dirty hair coats with fecal staining and a stale odor of urine. I'm looking at these images. It it makes me want to cry of these dogs. It also makes me want to vomit. I hope they throw the book at this guy. If there was any justice in the world, Jason Nunez would have to live in conditions like the ones that he made these dogs live under. Jason Nunez, I do denounce you. I also want to denounce Gmail. Gmail has been demonstrating a bias against conservatives. And again, I don't really consider myself a conservative. You go down issue by issue, I would say I fall more liberal than conservative. But I'm a big believer in fairness. I'm a big believer in free speech. 
And I'm a big believer in email providers not picking sides when it comes to email. So the Gmail spam filters are partisan. The Gmail spam filter has been disproportionately moving conservative emails to spam fundraising emails specifically and letting the Democratic fundraising emails go through. Um, a new study from North Carolina State University shows that this disparity of conservative fundraising emails to liberal fundraising emails is pretty significant. So this research shows a blatant political bias on the part of Gmail. They use more than 100 Gmail, Outlook, and Yahoo accounts to collect more than 318,000 emails from May through November of 2000. And in general, the study found Gmail was more than 50% more likely to mark a Republican email as spam than a Democratic email. Outlook and Yahoo leaned the other way. They were 20% and 14% more likely to send Democratic emails to the spam filter. The trend largely held even when researchers used statistical modeling to measure emails with similar traits such as length, readability, and so forth. This spam filtering algorithm over at Gmail looks like it needs a tweak. I want to denounce the Palestinian vandals who set fire to Joseph's tomb. Now, there is, I don't care what kind of miscreant, what kind of miserable person you are, there is no reason to vandalize a religious relic like Joseph's tomb. Um, the arson and vandalism near Joseph's tomb, at Joseph's tomb, n- near the West Bank city of Nablus, is just appalling. Now, while Joseph's tomb was being destroyed by Palestinian rioters and vandals, dozens of rioters were in a campaign of destruction all over the place. They broke the tombstone on the grave, set fire to rooms in the compound. This is just shocking. Right before Passover, right before Easter, apparently about around 100 Palestinians, this was being reported, broke into the site overnight, rioted, and set it on fire before they were dispersed by Palestinian security forces. And they smashed the objects inside. Not sure what they're proving there. I want to denounce Bitcoin fans. Apparently, according to a new study, the average Bitcoin investor is a calculating psychopath with an inflated ego. This is not according to me, but according to scientists. 
A team of experts recently surveyed more than 500 people to uncover the personality traits that are most common among crypto nuts. They identified that many investors exhibit signs of the dark tetrad, a group of four unsavory traits made up of narcissism, Machiavellianism, psychopathy, and sadism. In plain English, the scientists at Queensland University of Technology said that means these crypto investors have an inflated sense of self-importance and derive pleasure from the the, uh, pain of others. So, the next time someone uh, asks you to invest in Bitcoin, ask yourself, Am I a psychopath? I want to denounce the cockroach that crawled inside Todd Van Sickle's ear in South Carolina. Todd Van Sickle is an Ohio man uh, who was vacationing in South Carolina. And apparently a cockroach crawled inside his ear while he was asleep. And caused him severe ear pain. And now he's suffering all sorts of hearing loss. He's suing the resort that he stayed at, by the way. Uh, now, I don't know if it's the resort's fault. I think every it, there's a possibility of roaches everywhere. But I'll leave that to a jury to decide. Scary, though. I don't know what happened to the cockroach, but I am denouncing him. I want to denounce Corey Quincy. This is a very strange person. Corey Quincy, 21 years old, was doing drugs with a friend, Rhonda Pierce. So the two of them get into an argument over drugs. And Corey Quincy proceeds to murder... Her friend Rhonda with a machete. So uh, Quincy's now admitted to this, by the way. So they're arguing over drugs. And Quincy became so upset, he punched the woman in the face and began stabbing her with the machete and then hid her body in a freezer for several days before admitting to this. So that is... Something. Uh, I want to denounce Lucky Charms. Apparently, uh, there are all sorts of reports, 1,300 so far and counting, of Lucky Charms, a very popular breakfast cereal, particularly among Irishmen, making people sick, causing gastrointestinal issues in a whole bunch of consumer consumers. There's a website, IWasPoisoned.com, where people can report any food-related illnesses and share the city and the state where they receive the food. And over 1,300 people have said as of Monday they felt sick since April 1st after eating Lucky Charms. The FDA is now looking into this, but most of the reported symptoms included nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. So cases have been reported throughout the United States. So hopefully they'll be able to get to the bottom of that. But uh, I don't eat Lucky Charms. I know they're magically delicious. That being said, uh, I would stay away from them if I were you, at least for the time being, until I can get things straightened out. 
And finally, I want to denounce the Buckeye Valley School District in Ohio. I do not know what is going on in this country, folks. This school district in Ohio has banned a children's book about a unicorn because it supposedly promotes a gay lifestyle. Now, the author... Jason Tharp was all set to read it at a school in Delaware, Ohio. Now, Tharp, the book is called It's Okay to Be a Unicorn. Tharp is straight. He's not gay. Not that that should matter. He said, and what does he know? He's only the author. He said the book is not about LGBTQ issues. The book is about self-acceptance and the self-acceptance that he learned after nearly dying of a brain tumor. This is crazy. We're, I am so sick of banning books in America. You know, when you picture book bans, you think of something the Soviet Union would do or the Nazis would do. You don't think of something that's becoming so commonplace in the United States. But unfortunately, it is. All right, uh, we're going to talk with Scott Cronick and um, get get an update about what's happening in Atlantic City in just a moment. A few of you have been uh, holding. We'll try and get to your calls throughout the hour. Marlena Shivo will be here as well. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything we're covering. And um, we'll get in, we'll, we have a whole lot of other things to get to between now and 458.40, believe me. Scott Cronick has the AC report for us straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is the AC Report. Well, it blew up a chicken man in Philly last night. And it blew up his house, too. Down on the boardwalk, they're ready for a fight. Gonna see what them racket boys can do. Now there's trouble bussing in from out of state. And the DA can't get no relief. Gonna be a rumble on the promenade. And the gambling commissioner's hanging on by the skin of his teeth. Everything dies, baby, that's a fact But maybe everything that dies, someday he comes back Put your makeup on, fish your hair up pretty And meet me tonight in Atlantic City Well, it's time for our weekly look at one of the most interesting communities in the world. And I can't think of anybody that I'd rather get an update from on what's happening there than Scott Cronick. He wears a lot of hats down there in Atlantic City. The editor of AC Weekly, director of entertainment operations for the press of Atlantic City. He happens to be the co-owner of a terrific spot called the Tennessee Avenue Beer Hall and also a terrific radio talk show host that I listen to uh, pretty regularly. Scott, thanks so much for getting up early for us. 
Hey, thank you, Frank. How are you today? I'm uh, doing well. I'm jonesing. It's been it's been almost five months since I have been to Atlantic City. That is the longest stretch uh, that that I have been uh, w- without going to Atlantic City. I think since I was about 19. So I- I'm way overdue for a visit, and, and I'm going to try and pin one down on the calendar this week. How are things down there in terms of crowd and uh, uh, busyness now that it's starting to get warm? Yeah, kids will do that to you, Frank, you know. <laughs> so I've learned. So I've learned. <laughs> um, things are good, Frank. You know, I don't know. Uh, you know, we're still not into that summer, you know, mode yet where it's mostly still really busy only on weekends. But uh, the weekends have been really busy. And we haven't seen weekends, uh, you know, die down for quite a while. I mean, we had a really strong winter even on weekends. Uh, you know, but weekdays are still a little quiet. Uh, today and yesterday were like really the first spring-like days we've had down here. So hopefully the weather will stay that way and, and we'll start picking up on the weekdays too. But as far as the weekdays, it's, it's been pretty quiet. It's been a pretty crappy spring weather-wise. And, you know, this this uh, we live and die by the weather here. Uh, now – you know, it's such a good point that you made about weekdays not being too crowded. One of my favorite times to visit Atlantic City happens to be the week. I mean, I can't always do it because, uh, like a lot of people, I have to work during the week. But uh, we have a lot of people that are listening to us who are retirees and maybe have flexible schedules or, or maybe still working from home and can work from wherever. The weekdays are actually a, pre- a pretty good time to visit Atlantic City, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're you're going to get a lot of great promotions from the casinos to lure you there on weekdays. You know, they they definitely uh, they, if you're not uh, a big high roller, you'll get amazing room rates during the weekdays. I mean, in the in the off season, you can get you can stay in a really nice room at one of the casinos for say fifty nine dollars or sixty nine dollars. I mean, where else in the in the world can you stay on the ocean uh, for fifty nine or sixty nine dollars? It's impossible. And the rooms, you know, uh, these aren't these are nice rooms. You know, it's not like you're staying in uh, some Motel Six on the side of the road. You know, these are luxurious, uh, beautiful rooms. It's I always say it's one of the best values uh, for travel that you're going to find. I, I would think you're probably going to be able to get into a lot of restaurants that are much tougher to get into on the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, they do cut back hours uh, a little bit on the on the uh, weekdays, so you might not see everything open. So uh, most restaurants operate on three or four day weeks uh, in the off season. So if you come on Monday and Tuesday, it's going to be probably a little harder to, to get into restaurants than say it'll be on, a, say, a Thursday or Friday, you know, or Wednesday even. But uh, yeah, but but they rotate. They make sure that there's always stuff open. But when you come on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, you got to be a little careful. You're not going to get the full array of things that you'll get if you gotcha. come on the weekend. Gotcha. That's good. Yeah. Good to know. Important. And especially entertainment. You know, they rarely have entertainment uh, on weekdays. So if you're looking for shows and things like that, you're going to be out of luck in the off season. In the, in, the, in the main season, you'll see review shows run seven days a week and, and stuff like that. But entertainment pretty much is a weekend thing. Oh, uh, well, that's, that's important to note. Now, there's a lot of uh, exciting projects that are underway or planned for Atlantic City. I'm going to ask you about a few of them. But one of the ones that we spoke about previously was the planned water park uh, that Bart Blatstein has at the uh, at the showboat. They've broken ground on it. Bart's been on this show. I've talked to him about it. Last time I spoke to you, Scott, you seemed very reluctant uh, to think that to, to, to get excited about this. You said that you hoped for the best, but that given uh, Bart Blatstein's track record, you weren't necessarily optimistic and you didn't think that this was necessarily going to come to fruition. Uh, I understand. I heard Bart on your show recently. I understand you might have a little change of heart. 
Yeah. Uh, so what happened was, you know, my business partner, Mark Colazzo and, and Bart's uh, PR person got him and I together and we sat down and had lunch and we realized that, you know, we had a lot more in common and he gave me a tour of the place and he showed me plans and he, and he really uh, took the time to kind of say that I was being unfair to him. And, you know, listen, man, I want Atlantic City to succeed. My, my ears were open, you know, and, and I told him what my thoughts were and why I felt the way I did. And he went through every single project of his from the past, from the pier at Caesars to uh, the garden pier that he bought outside of Showboat to the showboat that he's in now and explained everything to me and was really open. And, and I was kind of surprised that he would take the time. I mean, the guy's worth a lot of money. He doesn't have to take the time to explain himself to me. But he wants uh, he wants Atlantic City to succeed. And, uh, hey, they started moving dirt around. Uh, there's a lot of stuff happening underground for the water park. So they are spending money. And I am, I'm a believer. And one of the other things is that I started to experience the place. I went to a party there uh, for the Lucky Snake Arcade. And I realized that, that I was kind of being stubborn. And I saw that the arcade is a really beautiful thing. And it's, it's, I'm a big arcade guy. And I just fell in love with the arcade. It's now the biggest pinball arcade uh, on the East Coast. And I love pinball machines. And now they're building an indoor race cart yeah. uh, track, a go-kart track that's going to be really awesome. That's going to uh, electric cars that go 50 miles an hour indoors. And, uh, and, and that's already being built. You can see it it's happening right in front of your eyes. So um, he I love that arcade. I mean, showed me, I, I he love actually that. showed me. He actually showed me pieces of the water park that are being built. Uh, so, listen, man, he made me a believer, and now I'm on the other side. I, I would be surprised if it doesn't happen. Frank. Wow. All right. Well, that's uh, that's exciting. I'm happy to hear that. That arcade, by the way, Lucky Snake, is is great. If people are going and they don't necessarily like to gamble or they have teenagers or even uh, kids that are a little younger, uh, actually, I think it's great for adults, too. Uh, they have this, this air hockey table that four people can play on. As a big air hockey fan myself... I think that's uh, that's just terrific. And um, does that boxing ring in the arcade get any use? I, I, they have this beautiful boxing ring, but so far I haven't seen anybody uh, anybody do anything there. Yeah, they have events there all the time, and they they uh, they use it for some of the smaller uh, boxing events where. Uh, you know, they don't need to put up a ring and, and gotcha. yeah, but they do. Yeah, especially for like some of the. Uh, um, I guess what I would say, like the lower grade MMA stuff, you know. So yeah, it's been being used. Now, neat. now I understand the Atlantic City Air Show, uh, which is always a big deal. That is set for a uh, a major return, right? Yeah, I don't have the date in front of me, but I, I believe it's in August uh, again. And yeah, they're all set to do it. Uh, and you know, that's the, probably the single biggest day as far as people go in Atlantic City. There will be, uh, you know, there's I think what do they say five five hundred thousand to a million people that come to the city that day. It's a really big day for Atlantic City, and it's free. The only free air show of its kind. Wow, uh, you're going to find in the country. Wow. Now uh, the big controversy seems to continue to be the debate over permanently banned banning smoking in casinos. They did away with it during the pandemic. Then it's it's come back, but not like it was. Some places where you could smoke, like the B-Bar at Borgata, you're still not able to smoke. It's looking like this is just a matter of time until this ban goes into effect. What's your take being down there and talking with so many policymakers that are involved in this fight? 
Yeah, it's a real hot topic right now. And you have basically the casinos against the people and the politicians who have really seemed to uh, put the pedal to the metal, especially Senator Vince Palestina, who's kind of heading this. And um, it's a war right now. And the casinos are saying that it could, you know, be a major, major impact to employment. And, uh, that you know, I forget what jobs they put. Now, I expect that the casinos are probably exaggerating those numbers a little bit to try to discourage it. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's going to happen. I think you're going to come to the point where uh, in Atlantic City, and it's not unlike most of the gaming jurisdictions around the country except for Las Vegas. Uh, so Las Vegas and Atlantic City are pretty much the two holdouts on this. And, uh, I guess, you know, I'm torn, Frank, because, you know, I want to see business succeed. But on the other hand, uh, it's proven that secondhand smoke is a major problem. Mm-hmm. And you have dealers standing eight hours, 40 hours, eight hours a day, 40 hours a week inhaling that. Uh, I get it, you know, and I, I, maybe it's time, you know. Uh, yeah, no, I'm torn, too. I, I'm a cigar smoker. And, uh, you know, I, I like to smoke a cigar either while having a drink at a uh, bar that's off the off the casino floor or even while I'm playing Baccarat or something. But why should um, why should a dealer, uh, just because they're working, have to inhale my cigar smoke? I have a tough time. I have a tough time rationalizing it. So uh, yeah. it's certainly yeah. it's, it's certainly going to be interesting to see what happens. It will certainly Certainly, be a a different um, a, a different environment in smoke free in smoke free casinos as it was during the uh, the pandemic. Now, do you play at all? Uh, I'm guessing you don't play too much, uh, Scott. Being living down there, but to the extent that you do gamble at all, what what do you uh, what do you play? Uh, when I moved down here, I played a lot, and then I won a lot, and I was like, "Wow, I don't even have to work. This is great, <laughs> right?" And uh, <laughs> I learned pretty quick that that uh, that goes the other way pretty fast. And I stopped gambling. And it, if I do gamble, like I'm, you know, I might put twenty dollars in a slot machine with my wife, or I'll play poker. Poker is my game. So uh, it is good to know that uh, you can enjoy Atlantic City even if you're not a degenerate gambler like I am. That's true. That's true. And, you know, it's, uh, but poker's tough though, Frank, because when I first started playing poker, uh, there weren't so many young, smart people looking to be sharks and swallow people up like me. Now, when you go play at the tables, they're, they're just looking for inexperienced players. You know, there's, there's professional players that just basically look out and try to, you know, and try to prey on inexperienced players. You know, it's just, it's just the way it is. Yeah, I'm one of those inexperienced players. That's why I tend to stick with video poker. Uh, Me and you both, buddy. Uh, you know, so one of the questions I always get, and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Scott Chronic, editor of AC Weekly, and uh, he's uh, also the co-owner of the Tennessee Avenue Beer Hall, which is a terrific spot. I just recommended it. Somebody was asking me for Atlantic City recommendations uh, just the other day, and I was sure to suggest the uh, Tennessee Avenue Beer Hall. One of the questions I always uh, like to ask people about is about their food preferences because there's so many great restaurants in Atlantic City. I would venture to say there's some of the best in the world. Other than um, the one that you're a partner in, what would you say your favorite Atlantic City restaurant is, Scott? I'd probably say um, I love Cafe 2825. That's uh, right near the Tropicana. It's just uh, owned by uh, uh, some local people, and it's just an amazing Italian restaurant, uh, you know, kind of old-school Italian place. Uh, that's that's awesome. I really enjoy uh, another Italian place that opened is in Bally's called Jerry Longo's. They just opened in the last year, which mm. I think is is really really great. Uh, they they do a nice job. Uh, and and uh, you know if if you're looking for 
just an all-around great restaurant that does everything. It used to be Wolfgang Puck's American Grill at Borgata, and now uh, it's just American Grill. And the same chef that runs it is there. And you can get everything from, you know, Maytag blue cheese, potato chips to gnocchi to pizza to, uh, you know, maybe a great steak. And I just think it's a, just a great, well-rounded restaurant. Uh, That's Wolf- at Borgata. Still at, yeah. still at Borgata. Yeah. I mean- yeah, American Grill, yeah. You know, one of the things we're seeing is you mentioned the investment that's taking place at uh, at Showboat with this island water park. The ocean, uh, even though they're a relatively new building that was a $2 billion building when it was when it was open, they've announced a $75 million property reinvestment, including 12 floors of new hotel rooms. Bally's is unveiling 750 renovated hotel rooms uh, and uh, a whole bunch of other new features. Caesars is set to invest $400 million into its casino, into its Atlantic City resorts. Now, um, for all the increased competition that Atlantic City casinos are facing from New York and uh, other jurisdictions, I take that as a pretty good sign that these companies are still willing to invest hundreds of millions of dollars into improving their existing properties, don't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But some of them had to. So, you know, when Caesars got uh, so Ocean, for example, you know, to finish those floors are, is a no brainer. I mean, they they went from being, uh, you know, the worst performing casino as Revel to the second best performing casino in town. And uh, to not have those rooms really hurts them. So they're going to add. I think it's something mm. like four or five hundred rooms when they finish those floors. That's going to you know, that's going to major major difference maker that's going to be able to put them uh I should say they're the third casino behind Hard Rock I'm sorry but they're going to that's going to put them you know in a in a nice position to even gain more ground on Hard Rock and uh you're going to see Caesars is the one that had to do it you know that company uh since it was bought out uh, they the, basically the DGE said to them, you know, we're going to approve the sale of this company uh, to you that included the Tropicana, Caesars and Harris. But you have to put money into these properties. They're neglected. Uh, the, the old Caesars company didn't do the right thing. And and basically they said, if you don't if you don't put four hundred million dollars into these properties, we're not going to approve uh, the takeover. So Caesars, you know, relented and, and said no problem because they knew for them to compete against everybody else that they had to do these upgrades. The rooms were terrible. Uh, you know, a lot of things had to be done. So, uh, and in fact, tomorrow, tomorrow they are going to release uh, eight new concepts that they're going to have uh, this year at Tropicana alone uh, wow. that they're going to announce tomorrow. I, I got a sneak preview of what they are, but uh, you're going to see eight different restaurant or bar concepts announced tomorrow uh, for Tropicana. So, so they're serious about it. They just announced that they're going to have Hell's Kitchen restaurant at Caesars, uh, to go along with the Gordon Ramsay restaurant that's already there. Uh, Nobu's going to be at Caesars, which is, as we know, one of the greatest Japanese restaurants in the world, if not the greatest. Uh, so that's two major brands that are coming to Caesars. And they're going to announce a major celebrity brand at Harris very soon. And they're going to have an entire new food court and some other restaurants that they're going to announce there. So uh, Caesars, uh, Harris, and Trop are going to look very, very different this time next year. Well, that's exciting. Uh, the thing that I like about Atlantic City, one of the many, is that um, there are so many state-of-the-art 
amenities, uh, whether it's casinos, spas, restaurants, things that could be easily in uh, Vegas or in New York. But there's also a, a certain hometown feel, a certain dinginess that just feels like very unique to Atlantic City that um and I think they've been able to balance the um the high end and the classic Atlantic City. Does that make sense to you, Scott? Yeah, it does. You know, but uh, unfortunately there is that part where it's dirty too sometimes, right? And and you know, we're trying to do our best. Um a, a group of us just met recently of trying to uh you know, I can't really talk much about it yet, but a group of business leaders are going to try to form a new alliance to try to really push the government and uh you know, the the people that can really make a difference to make a difference and try to make it cleaner and safer. And, you know, enough's enough, you know, we've had the casinos here for over 50 years or about, you know, uh, for not 50, I mean, almost 50 years. Right. So it's going to be, uh, it's got to change, Frank. We, we can't, allow the city to continue to be dirty and unsafe. We have to make sure that those things change. But there are some cool things, Frank. Like you said, uh, Tony's Bottomore Grill is a great example of a really old-school Italian place that you can go and have a $12 pizza and some fried shrimp and, and really feel like you're in the 1950s, you know. And, and there's a bunch of different examples like that, but that's probably the one that sticks out the most. And uh, I love that. I love that part of Atlantic City. A good White House sub, right? I mean, Oh, yeah. I mean, you can go down the list. Uh, the uh, the yeah. Irish pub and uh, a, a bunch of other uh, spots, yeah, yeah. E- even off the boardwalk. Hey, uh, one of the complaints from Atlantic City residents was always that it was a food desert, that they didn't have a grocery store. It was announced, uh, I guess, back in October that they they were breaking ground on a grocery store. How's that going as far as you're aware? Uh, it's not going. They, uh, for some reason, have has not uh, moved the, moved a, uh, a pebble of dirt on that property yet. So a lot of people are questioning whether it's going to happen. Mm. Uh, the mayor and CRDA keep assuring that it is going to happen. Uh, ShopRite is going to go there and, and, ShopRite would be foolish for it not to be. Basically, the CRDA and the state are funding the entire thing. So I do think it'll happen, but I'm not sure. If, I, I, I really don't understand why it's not being moved on quickly. They want it to be open uh, by this time next year, but they haven't even started working on it yet. So that's not going to happen. Mm. Uh, wow. So that's uh, that's interesting. But you don't know what's causing the delay. No, they, uh, you know, it could be a lot of things, but, you know, who knows? But, you know, when it comes to construction, but they've cleared such an easy path that I can't imagine there's any resistance from wow. the city. I can't, you know what I mean? So I, I can't even imagine what the holdup would be other than that maybe ShopRite wasn't ready, uh, you know, on their end to, to get, maybe they're doing designs, who knows? But uh, the bottom line is they haven't moved yet. Well, that's interesting. You know, the owner of our radio station, John Katsimatidis, he also owns Gristides, and I'm sure if uh, if Shoprite passes, he'd welcome the opportunity to put a Gristides there. I think that would uh, I think that would do really well there. Uh, but you know, one of the one of the things that we've seen in Atlantic City, and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Scott Chronic. Um, one of the things that we've seen in Atlantic City over the last few years is an attempt to diversify Atlantic City's economy beyond gambling. You've got Stockton University, which uh, is growing and expanding and doing some great things academically and economically. You've got the hospital, which is a big employer out there. What are the other exciting non-gaming projects that are in the pipeline in Atlantic City these days beyond the water park, which we spoke about? 
Um, geez, uh, you know, there's a lot of proposals for things like that. We talked about Bader field last time, uh, about it possibly being a racetrack, but, uh, they tell me that, uh, and, and a housing development, but they tell me they're getting, you know, resistance from the state that state's not seem to take them seriously. But really the truth is there's, there's, there's not a whole lot of, of, of big development. I know mm-hmm. Atlantic care is doing an addition on the hospital again, uh, which is a major thing. Uh, you know, they always say eds and meds, right? So you got Stockton and, and the, and the hospital that is growing there. Uh, the one good thing is that there's development of, um, it's called AC Depco. They're a, they're the same people that helped build New Brunswick. Uh, and now they're helping build, rebuild the Chelsea section of Atlantic city. Uh, and they've got a lot of funding for that. I believe they got over a million and a half dollars in grants and federal grants and money, uh, to help do things to make that area uh, clean and safe. And now Atlantic Care has applied for the same kind of funding uh, so that they could start doing things in the Midtown section uh, once they qualify for those grants. I believe they got $500,000. They're waiting for another million there. So once you start seeing the development of those projects, uh, you can see some real changes on the streets. Uh, and, and that's what we need. We, we want to see more cops. We want to see uh, things be cleaner and uh, and projects that are going to rip down old buildings and hopefully replace them with with people who want to live here because frank that's the most important Mm. thing we want to get people to live in atlantic city on a year-round basis until that happens uh we're not going to be a true city uh and that's that's what happened to asbury park right Right. it was such a dump and then when they got all those people to live there now that city is one of the greatest cities on the shore in, in the state of new jersey you know there's so much undeveloped land in atlantic city and i know i why do you think there isn't more of an effort uh, to develop in Atlantic City, both uh, residential and commercial. There, it's such beautiful property right on the uh, right on the water. There, it's very close proximity-wise to two uh, big cities like Philadelphia and New York. Why haven't more developers taken advantage of that? Uh, you know, Barb Blastin and, and developers like him think it's going to happen sooner than later, just because of the price is right, you know, and, and, but, but here's the problem is that a lot of old money, you know, developers, old money people who really held on to this land, hoping that they're going to strike it rich. Right. So a casino is going to come and make me a, you know, I'm already Uh a millionaire, but a casino is going to make me a zillionaire. Right. And they were holding on to this land and they just got into the habit of holding on to it and they're not going to sell it until they get an offer. That's too good to be true. And, uh, I don't think those offers are going to come uh, anytime soon. You know, you might see them be able to pull together some deals to build some condominium units or high-rise buildings and things like that eventually. But, you know, I would love to see Atlantic City, uh, especially along the shore, develop some really high-end homes like we see in Margate and Longport and Avalon and down there. You know, we really don't have a whole lot of that. And it would be really nice to see some single-family beautiful, uh, you know, uh, high-end homes be built in those areas. But uh, those landowners have to give up that land. And I, I'm not sure that they're going to do that anytime soon. It's really holding Atlantic City back. Yeah, no, that's for sure. Hey, Scott, it's always a treat to uh, to chat with you. I'm uh, not sure when my next trip to Atlantic City will be, but uh, hopefully we can get together. That would be great, Frank, and uh, uh, say hi to the family. Okay? I certainly will. Scott Cronick, editor of AC Weekly, director of entertainment operations for the Press of Atlantic City, uh, radio talk show host, and the co-owner of Tennessee Avenue Beer Hall. You want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Madonna singing Die Another Day. This is from the James Bond movie from a few years ago. Uh, taking your calls at 800-848-WABC. Seven open lines if you want to jump on board. I uh, will not be here tomorrow. A couple of quick notes. I know a lot of people look forward to Friday because of Ask Frank Anything. Uh, we, In order to reward your patience with Curtis Sliwa tomorrow, who will be filling in, we are going to do a two-hour Ask Frank Anything the following Friday. And uh, around Friday morning, meaning Good Friday, around 11 a.m., while you are not eating meat, uh, I am going to do an Ask Frank Anything on Facebook Live on the way to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Where else would you go to celebrate Easter weekend other than Bethlehem? Am I right? Uh, so if you want to see the uh, Facebook version of Ask Frank Anything, be sure to follow the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Morano Fan. That's Facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O Fan. Uh, but hopefully you have something fun planned for Easter. Easter is one of those holidays. It's, it's a lot of fun. There's not much of an expectation other than candy. I usually have people candy like the if, if there's children around or if there's, you know, um, women around. I always give them some chocolate, but um, it's not a lot of pressure like Christmas is. It's really you can uh, you have the religious aspect of it, which is really supposed to be the main part of it. But I'm also into the social and the familial aspect of it, and it's unofficially totally secular. The the it, it really in my brain at least it really does signal the turning point when spring really begins. When you could start wearing spring colors and dressing in a spring manner. I love Easter. Love everything about it. Now, um, well, except one thing I don't am not crazy about is, you know, one of these traditional Easter dishes is lamb. Now, I, I'm not really a big meat eater to begin with, but I've never liked lamb. I tell you, to me, um, the taste of lamb, it just ugh, doesn't do it for me. I've never liked lamb. And they say, oh, well, you should have it with mint jelly. No, thank you. No, thank you. I, I don't want it. So I've never been a lamb person. But speaking of foods that uh, drive people crazy, I woke up this morning. Well, actually, I woke up yesterday afternoon to my, my wife keeps a list of things that she wants to go over with me. And I do the same thing because we keep opposite hours. So we only have a couple hours where we're together and where we're not working, if that. 
So she'll write down all the things that she wants to converse with me about. I'll do the same. And one of the things that she began with, the thing that she began with, was a declaration. And it was very funny the way that she said it. So I asked her to recreate it in the form of a recording. And this was Rachel's declaration that she made when I woke up yesterday afternoon. I hereby decree that no fish or seafood can be saved as leftovers in the refrigerator because they stink up the fridge and it's disgusting. And that is a decree that the people of um, our household are taking very seriously because we, we were at my mom's for Palm Sunday. And my mom, I've talked about this before, when there's four people there, she will prepare food cook food, and cater food to prepare for 40. That's why every year I used to throw a big Black Friday party at her house. Maybe I'll bring it back this year because Thanksgiving, it would be a small crowd, be like five of us maybe, and yet she'd get food for 50. So we'd have all these leftovers. So I'd invite all my friends over on Black Friday, a day where nobody had plans so that they could enjoy the leftovers. And we'd always have a great party. It was always a lot of fun. So she did the same thing on Palm Sunday. And so she's trying to give us as many leftovers to take over, including a bag of giant shrimp. Now they really they really look more like pawns, because prawns rather, because they're they're jumbo they're they're extra jumbo shrimp. I mean they're huge. I don't think I have a, a finger that's as long as one of these shrimp. I mean, these are huge shrimp. So she gives us a bag full. And they were good. They were good shrimp. I ate some on Sunday. Then I ate more on Monday. And I had some on Tuesday. Been eating them since Sunday. Trying to work my way through them. But, you know, the longer you keep shrimp around, and it is in a Ziploc bag or whatever the, I don't know if Ziploc is the brand name, whatever the, the generic equivalent of a Ziploc bag is called. And the refrigerator is starting to smell. Well, let me be honest. The refrigerator stinks. The refrigerator absolutely stinks. So Rachel had to throw out all this shrimp on Wednesday, which I hate to hated to see it go because I was eating it on Tuesday. It was still good. And so now, even though she she took all the food out of the refrigerator, washed and disinfected with Lysol, the whole refrigerator, she's got two or three boxes of baking soda in there. The whole refrigerator still smells like shrimp. The whole thing. Even uh, Carmine's babysitter, Lorraine, who's a a wonderful lady, she gave Carmine a a bottle yesterday. And she asked Rachel, why does his bottle, his baby formula, smell like shrimp? And sure enough, I took a sparkling water. And the sparkling water smelled like shrimp. So I'm not sure what can be done, if anything, to de-shrimpify this refrigerator and the contents in it, because we've already gone to great lengths. But if you have a suggestion, let me know. 800-848-9222. We're not throwing the food that's in there out. Um, But if you have a suggestion, let me know. 800-848-9222. I will tell you, though, it was good shrimp, but I think as far as Rachel's decrees go, 
And I think some of her decrees at times are a little a little off base. I've questioned the wisdom of some of these decisions. I think this is probably sound advice. I have to be honest. So uh, I hate to see the shrimp go, but um, maybe next time we'll work on an alternative method of, of storing the shrimp Boy, somehow. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Hey, uh, I am on Twitter. If you want to uh, follow me or participate at, or interact on t- in the Twitterverse, uh, I'm on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M O R A N L. Uh, and uh, if we have a Facebook group, which you're welcome to join, if you have thoughts, complaints, questions about anything that we cover on this show, uh, just uh, type on Facebook Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M O R A N O Radio Fans and Haters. The one thing that I would ask, though, is that if you post on there, try and keep it relevant to the show. We've had people on there trying to post things, uh, political figures or just their their opinions of all the other hosts. Don't do that because all the other hosts are members of this group. And so who, I don't need them thinking that uh, that I'm encouraging this kind of any kind of bad mouthing of them. So don't bad mouth the other hosts. You're, you're welcome to say whatever you want about me. Just li- leave the other hosts alone and oh, just horrible, keep it relevant horrible. to the show if you can. Scott is on Long Island. Scott, you have a suggestion for us. A bowl of vinegar, right? A bowl? Any type bowl of vinegar? vinegar apple cider that. vinegar or any kind? Some white distilled vinegar. And just put it... Soak up that smell. But then, will it smell like vinegar? Well, that will go away. What would you rather smell? Vinegar or the fish? Well, I guess it's it's kind of a, a refrigerator's Sophie's choice here. <laughs> Boy, does it stink. All right. I will give it a shot. I will give it a shot. Pete's on Staten Island. Do you have a non-vinegar suggestion for me, Pete? Yeah, Frank. I would have to chop up about three uh, lemons, uh, cut them up, put them in a little dish with a little water, leave it in for a day or so. That'll absorb it. Okay. Uh, well, that's a better smell than vinegar. So chop up. That's why, fr- they give you, that's why they give you shrimp. When you get shrimp, they chop up lemon in it. You know, when they have shrimp cocktail. You know, I just got, you know, it's funny. I just got an SMS text message, thanks, Pete, from my friend Maureen Gioli, who said, try lemon, but maybe baking soda should help, too. The baking soda is not helpful. It's not working. And then she says, maybe uh, vinegar as uh, vinegar as well. So she suggested the same three things that, um, that that you guys have suggested. So there you have it. 800-848-9222. That's one 800 WABC, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, the podcast is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's available on any podcast app. Just hit the subscribe button. And right now we have a 4.9 ranking on um, on iTunes. We'd like to try and get that up to a 5 if we can. So leave us a 5-star review if you can. All right, uh, John Not Quack in Brooklyn. Hello, John. Not Quack. Hey, how you doing? How you doing, Frank? I'm well. Uh, good show. Good show. Uh, we, I will retire fireman. We had a smell in the refrigerator in uh, the firehouse once with the fish. Uh, one of the old timers said to wipe it down with uh, lemon juice, and it worked. All right. Well, hey, uh, we'll give it a shot. I'm going to try this Pete Open Lemon method that uh, that seems to be uh, effective for a lot of people. So anyway, I was reading um I read Isaac Saul's newsletter, The Tangle, 
and he's been a guest on this show before, and he's always great. He has um, he's able to make a living just on this newsletter and the podcast, and I think the reason he's able to do it is because he's got all these people that have subscribed to his email list. So I'm trying to build my email list up as well. I don't know what I'm going to do with it other than send you promotional emails. But if you want to be on my email list, send me an email and say, add me to your list, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Buckle up! Marlena Shivo is here. We'll get into it next hour. Your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is the other side of midnight. Hey, uh, some very big news. I mean, this is a bigger announcement than the um, no shrimp decree uh, for the refrigerator. I was just informed. I got a telegram. Actually, it's a it's a electronic telegram, which is more like a an SMS text message. Now. Um, I just got a, an SMS text message from my wife who informs me that our son slept a whopping seven hours and she herself has set a personal post-Carmine record of five hours straight. And she also says the fridge still smells as she did another coat of Lysol. There's now three baking sodas, uh, baking soda boxes in there. Disgusting, she says. Uh, all right. Well, so we'll come back to that. But uh, I am always really excited. I am always invigorated. I'm bursting with energy whenever Marlena Shivo comes in studio because she has such a way of uh, framing things, such a way of phrasing things, and such a passion for the things that she feels fat- passionate about. She also happens to be pretty entertaining and hilarious as far as I'm concerned. She's a veteran media producer, a satirist, and a mother of two and uh, a COVID, COVID mandate critic, uh, <laughs> there I, will, you go. I will say. Uh, I made the mistake of uh, using your old label of COVID survivor, which now I know everybody's a COVID survivor now. How are you, Marlena? Good to see you. I'm doing fine. Um, I'm still trying to figure out if I identify as someone on Earth 1 or Earth 2, though, as your earlier guest uh, you're right was suggesting. You're right in between. So, okay, so, there is, so I'm a non-binary Earther? I think is that's, that, is that, is that, that how that's that works? How, that's how I would put you. I don't understand. Okay, so so I know that Peter, your earlier guest, did not want to identify himself as a, you know, a right or a left and yeah. calls himself an independent. But I technically, would call him center-left. That's what I would call him. Well, I would call him someone who definitely has opinions – if he's he's dividing himself into two different names or dividing people into two different categories, it's all the same thing. It's just like different words. Right. Well, that's fair. You know, yeah. which is fine. Um, but he did talk about the whole um, how on Earth One. How are you, by the way? You're, uh, you're excited about drinking soon, right? I, oh, 
Like you didn't believe. <laughs> oh, no, I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. Um, I'm only bummed that you're you're not around to break my fast. I'm a with very me tonight. very very busy individual. I don't know if you've noticed. Yeah, I have <laughs> noticed. Believe me. But um, yeah, I've got. I mean, this is and this is a busy time just because I'm forced to do Easter. Um, you know, with my, <laughs> I was like, not my holiday at all. And, and then I have to squeeze that in before going to, um, Florida for spring break. Well, I was going to ask you about that. So you're going to Florida next week? Uh, well, I'm, I'm leaving on Easter Sunday. I see. Um, but so which forces me to do Easter prior to Easter Sunday. So when I have are you doing to. Easter? Um, Saturday, Saturday with my family. And then Friday is when we're actually leaving. We're going down to my parents' house in, in South Jersey. Um, and the Easter bunny has to come to my house on Friday morning because he was informed that we will not be home. So why are you unavailable for drunken karaoke with me this evening? Um, because I have to get ready because we're leaving first thing on. Well, first I have to do the Easter basket baskets. And then I have to wake up with my kids and do Easter on I Friday see, morning and Easter. then get in the car and drive to my parents' house. Gotcha. Okay. For it's the, the Easter baskets. That's the... There's Easter. The, Easter okay. has to happen two days early because we're Understood. going Understood. away. All right. Um, but what were you... I, gonna... I, I, you might think differently of me after you hear me sing, though. Apparently, um, um, my, you know, it is not something that should be heard by humans. Well, what's your karaoke specialty? Do you have a song? Um... I don't actually have a specialty because I haven't done karaoke that much. What was um, the last let song me you think. Did? Let me think. Um, probably like ten years ago. But when do you remember which song it was? No, it was probably a Bon Jovi song or something. Oh, really? Like okay. Dead or Alive or something. All right. Okay. Well, that's uh, if I had to guess. Uh, that's a song you can get really into karaoke. <laughs> yes. I had a friend Rena. That was her karaoke song. All right. Um, but uh, you were about Pat, to say something is she else. On? Is she no longer uh, with no, us? I, I just haven't seen her in. <laughs> Fifteen years. You know? Okay. Uh, so, what were you? What were you going to say about uh, about you know, Pete oh. Dominic? Oh, I was saying he was saying on Earth One that he believes that vaccines work and that you know he is not smarter than an epidemiologist. And I I feel like this is the same rhetoric I've been hearing for so long that if you are someone who doesn't um, approve of vaccine mandates. Um, or being forced to take a pharmaceutical that you're not interested in, you are automatically categorized as someone who um, is smarter than an epidemiologist or, um, quote, does their own research, is a Trumper, is a conspiracy theorist, is, you know, you just get labeled all of these things. And I just think it's funny that he's against labels, but... Ha- that's fair. It is That's falling fair. into fair. like this yes. lab- label I'm culture. I'm going to get the two of you guys in here together next time. That'll be fun. Okay. That That'll sounds good. I mean, he sounds great. I, I really enjoyed him, but I just it's just funny how he thinks he's not being um, he's categorical, <laughs> but it absolutely is. Yeah. Uh, hey, by the way, speaking of the COVID front, so how excited are you that Philadelphia is bringing back indoor mask mandates? Well, considering that I never liked Philadelphia, <laughs> um, I think everything, my feelings remain the same about the city of crime and dirt. Although I feel like New York's becoming that these days. It, we're, it's getting late early, as Yogi would say. But on the plus side... Airlines are uh, talking, at least, about removing their masks, right? Unmasking <laughs> people like General Flynn. Well, every time it comes up about um, removing – well, the airlines would like to m- remove the masks, and some of them have. Um, it's really the government that just keeps um, – 
putting deadlines and then su- extending the deadlines. So this is an FAA mandate. Yeah, this is this is um yeah, this is exactly. They're extending it till May 15th. I see. Well, yes. that's a bummer. Hey, um so I'm taking Rachel to a Broadway show on Saturday. Do we have to wear masks during you, the show? You do. Still. Um I think actually wait, hold on. I think the deadline was April Ooh, it might even be the same. Like 18th, I think, was like the deadline. Oh, that's annoying. All I right. honestly don't remember. I remember them extending it through April. Um, You may be right within that. Yes. Ugh, that's annoying. I'm looking forward to that about as much as a root canal. Um, <laughs> but um, so we'll see what happens. Um, now, there's already talk because of this new variant that's now spreading right. of bringing back some of these broader restrictions, even though hospitalizations and deaths don't seem to be going up yeah. with this new new variant. Mm-hmm. And n- needless to say, y- you would be opposed to bring back more of these restrictions. <laughs> Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, there's no point. And if you... Read what the CDC says. Um, it will tell you that this variant is just like Omicron because it's a subvariant of over Omicron. And it really does have all of the symptoms of a cold. And it is not really uh, it's not really deadly anymore. I hate to break it yeah. to everybody, but it's no more well, deadly than the flu at this for point. A lot of people under 65, it wasn't really necessarily that deadly, even at its worst. There was uh, the data we're seeing shows more people died of alcohol related illness under the age of 65 than died of COVID. And the, and just and also just the, the combination of the comorbidities that they listed with the people who had COVID and died of COVID. Um, but if you go through this percentages, you'll see that it, the majority of people who did die were over the age of 65 and um, also were people who had um, pre-existing conditions. All these generally. things. Right. I so, mean, there were uh, some exceptions. To so that, I find it I find it in it, it is actually incredible to see people still um you know, talk, uh, keep talking the same like talking points that they did in the beginning about, you know, getting vaccinated and and everyone is still very, very divided, even though data has come out to show that this thing is not really a thing anymore. But um, hey, whatever. Not my issue. Yep. <laughs> you know, not at the moment. Um, not at all. Um, but it's just funny that these same people are people who would say so you know this this whole thing about gender identity is 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 everywhere right like everybody is talking about it in the schools and the whole thing about florida and Ron DeSantis and the don't say gay which is not really the name of the bill is that why you're going down to florida for the uh you know for the freedom of <laughs> yeah i am DeSantis I'm, land? i am uh i'm going well i'm going for the warmth and um you know, it's funny. We did go to Florida last year thinking like, OK, like this is going to be a place where there won't be masks. And we happened to go to a county that was still requiring <laughs> it in certain ways. And and I, I remember being very um, surprised and annoyed by it. But we're, people weren't really adhering to it either. So and obviously yeah, we were one of are, now. Are you going to take the kids to Disney or are you going for other Floridian? Well, is it, oh, well, this is even funnier. So, no, I'm going to Marco Island, Florida. Uh, and, I don't, I don't exactly. Know so about where anything is. <clears throat> OK, well, it's on the Gulf Coast and I've never been to that part. I went to Naples last year, which is sort of near there. Anyway, <laughs> um, my mother is turning 70 in a couple mm-hmm. weeks. And so in January I said, you know, let's book this trip and we'll invite my parents and then, you know, we'll take my mother. Fun. This will be her 70th. Great. Uh, she, my mother said, I'll think about it. And then subsequently said, I'll pass. And said that she wants to go to Disney World. 
the thing is, we're running a house, a house with a pool. I mean, it's great. We've done it before. Awesome. She's yeah. she's done that with us before, but it was in conjunction with us at you know staying at a condo resort at first and then going to this house. Um, she prefers a resort type place instead of a house because she just feels like a eh, house. It's like work. She just wants to do nothing. Yeah, which I, I, I understand that. Which I understand. I would never even require her to do anything. I never do. But she just feels like she right, should be doing things. When my, my kid's there. She feels like she has to make breakfast. I don't know. Um, so she she said, I'll pass. But she said she wants to go to Disney. So now I was still in the, in the midst of planning this trip. And now I have to plan a trip to Disney World because I can't say to my mother, yes, I will take you to Disney World for your 70th with my kids and then not plan the trip. Mm. So it's just, you know, I'm not big on doing these plans. It's like an effort for me to do it once a year, let alone. Yes. I know. I see the thrill that you have for <laughs> being forced to host Easter uh, this weekend. All right. Now I'm uh, not hosting. I'm going to my parents' house. I'm just, I'm just, I have to be the Easter bunny two days in advance at my house. I see. Okay. All right. Uh, now an issue that has been a big one with our audience and people have been calling all week to talk to me about it. And I've told them all the same thing, which is Marlena Shivo's coming in later in the week. We're saving this issue for her is what New Jersey is doing with respect to gender uh, education and identity. Now, as objectively as you are able to, before you give us your take on Mm -hmm. what New Jersey is doing, tell us, as I objectively as you can, what is New Jersey doing with respect to gender identity lessons for first graders and children in general? Okay. And of uh, this whole – I will be objective because I have so many opinions about what's going on um, because I feel like everybody's freaking out about the gender identity thing when that is seriously – should be the least of their worries. Um, it's not even a worry. It's more of a concern that the the, the schools are doing things – independently and in and making decisions in a vacuum and they are because i have and i will get into that without any input from the parents that's the bigger picture here it's not about gender identity okay and i can but okay so what's happening now is that they they have revised the um health curriculum for new jersey and it's being implemented in september okay they are basically bringing sex ed to elementary schools On every level. It's not about gay, straight. It's about sex. Now, I will tell you right now, in fifth grade, per this curriculum, they want all fifth graders to be able to identify the different ways to get pregnant and to be also to identify the different um, birth controls that are out there. In fifth grade, my daughter will be 10 years old. Why does she need to know the different ways to get pregnant and be able to identify different types of birth control? Can you answer that question? Uh, No. I mean, maybe she wants to get started early. (laughs) You are absolutely vile. I hope your next kid is a girl. (laughs) Okay. So I... (laughs) I don't understand why this is a necessity and I don't know why why the Board of Education or the Department of Education thinks that this is what is needed in schools. Our kids in elementary school need to be learning math and reading and science well, and what social is studies. The cur- what are the current standards for fifth graders when it comes to sex ed and things of that nature no it's 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 health education you know they they're talking about hygiene and all these other things that they should be talking about they're not talking about this this is brand new but that's that's a biggie for me because my daughter is 
will be nine in you know in a couple months and she still believes in santa claus and in a year you're going to start telling mm. her the wh- where babies come from that is my responsibility sure. okay you st- like stay in your lane public school stay stay where you need to stay sex education can be in the school system it has to come later is my opinion uh, but I know this is this is a kind of an age old argument that we've been hearing about in schools, not really for, I don't think, 10 year olds. But certainly when you come when it comes to middle school, that's a lot of times when you start hearing about about that sort of thing. Right. That debate that's been uh, a very, very hot. Well, button you know, issue funny? for a long time. I've never focused on it because it, I never had because I never had to deal with it. And it wasn't something that. But now I'm very focused on it because I have kids and I'm starting to notice um Things that go on in the public school system that I had no idea. Okay. And it started during COVID. So I guess you could call that a blessing where these board of education meetings are happening and there's nobody in the room except for the, the board of ed members. I, I and, and some other parents had gone during the whole mask drama and, um, and they were in awe of how many people were in the room at the time because they literally said no one ever goes. I'm like, well, that's going to change. I'm going to start going because it's not just about COVID. It's not just about masks. And you start to realize that there are conversations happening in, uh, outside of this meeting, and then there's an agenda that lands on the desk in this meeting, and the, and it's already written. And then they just they just go around a room going, I, 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 they approve it, boom, we're done, and this is – all of these things are voted on, um, and that's it. Pro forma. That's it. And, the, and anybody in the room is – honestly, you can ask a question, but you're – at that point, you're just a spectator. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a parent and I'm a taxpayer, so I don't want to be a spectator in the room when it affects me. Now, a little note about transparency, and I've talked about this a little bit one time on the show, but I'm just going to repeat. This is the level of transparency there is, which is nothing. Summer – Last summer, we leave, we go on summer break, we come back, we have no library. And it's been, re- we, now we have screens, and they called it an innovation lab. And really, it's a technology room with gaming chairs. And th- now the kids can have the ability to play things like Fortnite with other schools and compete, which I'm not entirely sure why this was a necessity. I don't think it was. Right. The Fortnite's no. not necessarily considered an educational hallmark. No. And to, uh, you know, completely eradicate a library in order to implement this is insane. The fact that no one knew about it, including teachers, okay? Everyone I spoke to, I was like, did you know they were getting rid of the library? Did you know they were getting mm. rid of the library? Not one person. So right then and there, you see the lack of transparency. There was zero input from right. parents about this, whether they even wanted these chairs in the room, number one. And I can guarantee if you surveyed the parents, they would tell you that they would not want it to replace a library. They would need to find a new place for it. Okay. So there you go. Right there. Now, during COVID, we had a survey about masks. We had a survey about <laughs> testing. We had a survey about, you know, there was quarantines. No survey. There, there was never any any discussion whatsoever about this upcoming oh, it's a pretty big <laughs> innovation change. lab. Okay. So there's the transparency issue, and that's where the trust issue issues come in, and that's and that's what leads into this next conversation about the sex education. Uh, who is pushing the changes to the sex ed curriculum? It is the, in it is the Department of Education, and 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 you know when pressed about this, um, Governor Murphy, uh, now he comes out and right. says, "Well, He's you know, look at it." He's going to, well, now he's going to look at it. No, he said if there's enough parents opposing it, he will entertain the idea of making adjustments. But 
he initially said these decisions are made in conjunction, you know, by the Department of Education, um, school boards, parents, all of these people are weighing in. But that's not true because you're not weighing in. And well, it could be it could be um, he could be mincing like words a little bit. Right. So he could be. Because there are parents that are on the Board of Education, so technically they are parents who are weighing in. Um, I had gone to the last Board of Ed meeting and said, where are the notes and the minutes and everything else from these, this subcommittee that meets then get, and then before it becomes an agenda? And I I literally had the woman, the president of the board wave the agenda in my face. Here, here's the agenda. Here's the discussion right here. You You don't need the notes from that. I'm like, well. We need to know what's on the table before sure. it gets to the agenda right. and exactly. gets voted on. I'm not here to watch you guys say I, I, I. Right. Right. So um, so there's a lot that needs to go on when it comes to transparency, which is why this has become such an uproar. Our school, our principal, our superintendent um, decided to h- hold a parent meeting about this upcoming curriculum. However... This very thorough um, principal who sends out a huge email that the length of it rivals War and Peace. Like it is just so detailed. Reminder after reminder. Sign up for this. Sign up for that. Everything you need to know for the week. The this meeting about um, the health curriculum. The subject line was PE and health curriculum for the upcoming school year. Okay, nobody cares about how they're going to play volleyball next right, year, right, sure. or whatever. So if you said sex education curriculum, right. I think more people would have paid attention. No doubt. And then it wasn't on the calendar for the school. Like, there's a shared calendar for parents. You can look and say what's coming up. It wasn't listed. It wasn't in the email coming up, you know, for the week. So did this With meeting... all the reminders. The meeting took place in February. About 20 people showed up <laughs> to it. Okay. And... And so and then she only spoke about what was going to happen from fifth grade on and never addressed the lower grades in terms of gender identity or all of these other things that are keep that keep coming up as being controversial. So, What are the controversial aspects about gender identity education? And this is this. okay. now this is where I play the other side, because I. My stance is sex education in elementary school is unnecessary and shouldn't shouldn't be there whatsoever as far as gender identity goes um i think that people are scared about it because they don't understand it and they think that the left has some sort of talk about conspiracy theorists like people think that um they're trying to convert their children into some other type of thinking and it's like I don't know if people understand gender identity or sexuality very well, if that's what they think. And maybe these classes and this education should be geared towards the parents, because if you are um, people can't be converted. Like, that's why gay conversion therapy doesn't work for people. You're Mm -hmm. gay. Right. So and it doesn't work in the reverse. You can't make someone gay. You can't make someone question their gender identity. My argument with the gender identity at this age or anything, any sex, anything that sexualizes kids in any way is inappropriate for first and second grade. That's where that's what this curriculum is mm-hmm. suggesting. And that's where DeSantis comes into play. He's saying this is not necessary between K through three. We don't need that's this. the so-called don't say gay bill. Correct. The problem with that quote bill um, 
like the don't say gay bill, which is really the parental rights bill, is that it it kind of messes things up in other ways where they're saying, you know, a teacher can't come into school and say, like, say a male teacher comes in. He it sort of bars him from saying my husband. I see. Well, that's what they're saying, um, you know, my or something like that. I don't agree with that either. I think that the the natural way for people to understand the world around them is should be organic in that way. Like a teacher who is um, gay and married, like, okay, the argument is people shouldn't, the teacher shouldn't even be talking about their, their weekend with little kids anyway. Yes, they should. Because my child comes home with a piece of paper every Friday that says weekend news. And at the end of the weekend, you write in what they did and it teaches them how to converse right. and, and recall and it gives them structure to their week. Like we go to school this many days, we have a weekend, what did you do? Sure, Who sense. were you with? Well, the teacher's going to participate. With the, the, and that teacher, the teacher, I'll go with my daughter's teacher, she'll say something like, "I it was my husband's birthday, we baked a cake, we went to the movies, whatever. She should be allowed to say that because she's teaching them how to talk about their weekend. So let's pretend that she has a wife. She should be able to say, my wife and I took our three right. kids to the amusement park, whatever. So that's where all this, uh, you know, it's 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 just so layered in so that's many ways. What's so frustrating about this is I, I feel like the agenda has been it's sort of moral panic on both sides, and right. it's almost divorced from the facts. You it know, is. People are getting so worked up over this. But, it's just um, about the age. It's right. because they can't wrap their head around this stuff. My, I, I, I honestly don't think my eight-year-old could wrap her head around it. Um, and so that's why I just don't think it's appropriate for. Anything, sex education, talking about your genitals, talking about gender identity. It is so unnecessary at the elementary school age. That's my argument. People don't want the gender identity thing at all because they're scared of it. And fear informs their outrage, you know, and that's why I think they should actually come up with programs for parents and to make them understand um, this better so that their kids um, we'll understand it better as they get older. If, if the parents want to be the ones to teach their kids about sex and sexual orientation and everything else, then they need to understand it a little bit better. So um, why did the Department of Education, knowing this was going to be such a flashpoint with so many parents, why would they push this? Well, um, the idea behind it is um, about inclusion, okay? And, because there are... You know, if there's anybody that's at higher risk for depression, suicide, bullying, it's going to be a child who is um, different, it, 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 but non-binary or, or transgender, whatever. It's 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 gay youth. It's mm -hmm. you know transgender Got youth. It. They are at higher risk. So the idea of um, you know creating an environment where um, there's space for everyone, um, you know. That, that, that is the idea behind it, you know, because kids who do um, kind of question their gender identity, psychologists have said that it can it can be apparent at a very young age, as young as two, two and three years old, um, which we saw was the case with Jazz Jennings. Right. Um, so, you know, and so it's it's the idea that you're fine no matter who you are and how you feel. You're perfectly who you are. The issue, I'll say, it's not a problem. The issue is it's a very small percentage of the population who actually 
hasn't gender identity crisis. And so I feel like, you know, you can teach about it in a general sense, maybe. However, to say to children things like, and very small children, um, things like, let me see, let me just see what the, the actual wording is unreal. Um, they, they say things like you, you may feel like a girl, even though you look like a boy or you may be a boy who feels like a girl or you may not know how you feel, you know, in the first grade. How are they, what? What are you right. talking about? <laughs> Like, I can't fathom my kids would even understand that. I think the only person that would be able to feel that is a child who does feel that way, sure. right? Which, again, is a small percentage of the population. Um, do we need to mainstream this information for those people? I don't know. I don't pretend to be an education expert. Um, <clears throat> all I say is all sexuality, sexualizing kids in any way, shape, or form, gay, straight, whatever, um, in the elementary school is highly unnecessary. Yeah, well, I, 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 you've got me convinced. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what people could say uh, in response to that. But uh, we'll, we're going to continue. There's some other gender issues in the news, especially as it relates to Disney. Uh, we're going to get Marlena Shivo is here. She's going to stay with us for the hour. We're going to try and give away a thousand dollars in a minute. Uh, if you want to be the seventh caller to 800-848-9222, we're going to give you an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, and then we're going to continue discussing gender, Disney, a whole bunch of other issues with Marlena Shivo, who's here. You can find her on all forms of social media at Marlena Shivo, spelled just like Terry Shivo. 800-848-9222 if you want to play the $1,000 Minute. Straight ahead. W-A-B-C. singing the Marlena Anthem. Uh, Marlena Shiva was my guest for the hour. She's actually going to see if she can win the $1,000. I mean, we're not going to give her the money, but she's going to write down these answers to see how she would do uh, because it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morano. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let's meet today's contestant, Rita in Brooklyn. Hello, Rita. Hi there. Well, Rita, you familiar with this contest? Yes. All right, great. So uh, we'll, we'll get started. Uh, the Most of these are pretty simple. The timer will begin... After I ask the first question, and then um, if you get a question right, we're just going to move on to the next one. Okay? Simple enough? Okay. All right. Name a fruit. Orange. In what sport can you hit a home run? Baseball. The Statue of Liberty came from which country to the United States? France. What Catholic holiday is Sunday? Palm Sunday. No, unfortunately, uh, uh, it, it, this Sunday is Easter Sunday for Catholics. Okay. Mm-hmm. But are you Jewish, Rita? 
Yes. Oh well, happy Pesach to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry you didn't win, but I'm going to put you on hold. Molly's going to give you a consolation prize. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Rita. All right. Um, see that. See, I, I, I mean, maybe it's not a culturally relevant, you know, question to her, but I feel like a lot of people did know that. That's why I said Catholic because I know Orthodox Easter is until the following. Now, someone else is going to try, so you can't actually like read these off. No, you want to see if you would get it. I think so because I've all already right. gotten all of them you got so four. far. Okay, I mean, so, you're like uh, name a fruit, really? Yeah, I mean, it's it's okay. You, <laughs> you got 24 seconds on the clock, so you could just say them out loud now. You don't have to write them down because oh, okay, that's readers right. in Molly world. Okay, okay. all right, we'll, we'll give we're going to give Marlena 40 seconds on the clock. All right, or to be precise, 36 questions. And for the record, I got the first four. Okay, let me see. <laughs> It was Hold I, it up to the microphone watermelon so baseball see. France Easter. Right. Okay. Those are all right. All acceptable answers. Okay. okay. <laughs> Sake is a ma- a wine made from what? Oh, that is so annoying. Fire. <laughs> Sake is made from fire. I'm joking because it's hot. Oh well, it doesn't have to be. So you don't know what sake is made from? Oh my god! Wait, just go back to it. Okay, what New York City borough do I live in? Ugh, Staten Island. What's the name of the U.S. Attorney General? Um, um, Merrick. Uh, Merrick Garland. What kind of (laughs) blood type is known as the universal donor? Oh. Correct. Uh, (laughs) uh, What is the biggest desert in the world? Oh, um, Mojave Desert. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you're out of time now. You're over a minute. What was it? Um, The biggest desert in the world (laughs) is the Antarctic Desert. Great. Um, uh, Sake is made from rice. Right. No, I I I was gonna get that. (laughs) It took me. I really was. I really was. Okay. Um. All right, and, so you would not have won this. Wait, so so is that was that ten? The well, last? no, I, I'll give you the last two. Uh, the last one was who was Walter Mondale's running mate in 1984? Oh, Walter Mondale. Wait, was it? It wasn't Dan Quayle, was it? No, no, no. He, he ran against <laughs> Dan Quayle. Wait, Bob Dole. No, no. Um, <laughs> Geraldine Ferraro. Oh, that's right. The first woman. That's right. Well, well, I don't know if you could still call her a woman. She identified as a woman. Uh, when she was alive, so there's that. Now, okay, back to uh, back to our discussion of of speaking well, of gender. Well, speaking of gender, yeah. So that's that's a good point you just made. So, you know, um, these groups of people who um, you know will categorize you as the things I was talking about earlier, like oh, you're a conspiracy theorist if you don't want to get the vaccine, and you're a trumper. Like on what planet? Like is someone all of a sudden a trumper because they don't want to ingest right, certain pharmaceuticals? Record, you didn't vote for Trump. No, for the and record, you didn't care for, for the Trump. record. For the record, Twice. I do not care for Trump um, and did not vote for Trump. However, um. But but these same people will say to you, well, you know, and like, let's not even get to the my, my body, my choice thing, because I already got my, you know, what handed to me on that front, even though it's completely equal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so I can't I can say what you could take out of my body, but you, I can't tell you what to put in my body. Mm-hmm. Oh, OK. And now it's like, don't assume I'm a woman because I look like a woman and I have the body parts of what was con- tr- traditionally considered female. Don't put me in a category, 
right? But you're putting me in a category. Same group of people. It's so hypocritical. I can't take it anymore. Even though I respect them on the other side. You well, know? Uh, no, I, I think it is. The whole thing is just crazy. Um, Disney, Disney, which has been at the heart of a lot of controversy, in part because of the don't the so-called don't say gay bill. And in part because my mother would prefer to go there than to <laughs> Marco Island. <laughs> My seventy-year-old mother wants to go to Disney World. You know, I got to be honest. I've never really gotten adults that are really into going to Disney. I mean, she's not into going to Disney. Like she already went with us when we were kids, but she wants to see my kids I go see. Okay, to well, that Disney. I get. That I get. Yes, I get that. Um, they have removed the phrase "boys and girls" from report- recorded theme park mm-hmm. greetings. What has this phrase been replaced with? <gasps> They didn't say what the phrase was replaced with. It's just, I'm sure it's just greetings all. I mean, it's not, they're just removing the two words, boys and girls and ladies and gentlemen, in the pre-recorded greetings. Are a lot of people offended by that? I mean, what's the point? I don't I don't think this is the, the, the hill to die on. I really don't. I mean, what's the big deal? I mean, if you say greetings, visitors, who cares? Yeah. I mean, this is this is well, this is one of the one of the dumber arguments <laughs> when it comes down to all of this controversy going on nationwide, but mostly in Florida between Disney and DeSantis. Um, it's who cares if you say boys and girls, but the reason is because they're trying to be, look, this is the same company. Well, we'll just like jump to the next thing. This is the same company who is now going to work with their benefits to um, help financially with uh, gender reassignment surgery, mm-hmm. or, or I should say gender affirmation surgery, which includes, um, like hormone blockers and um removal of certain genitalia, um, and they you know which I know can be pretty expensive. It is very expensive. Um, do most insurance plans not cover gender, whatever we're calling gender reassignment surgery now? Listen, I'm still trying to get my insurance plan to cover my younger daughter's five stitches in her head. <laughs> Okay, that that I was billed for twenty three thousand dollars, five stitches, one trip to the ER, five stitches, twenty three thousand dollars. I'm still embattled one year later between the insurance company and the doctor's office. So I would imagine, yes, gender reassignment That's surgery fair. is definitely expensive. So, so yeah, do you think this is a positive that Disney is paying for this or no? Um. I think it would be a positive if I needed gender reassignment surgery. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, the same way that women who need in vitro uh, fertilization, um, they, IVF, they will cover, certain companies will cover up to three trials of that or tries of that because that gets really expensive. Oh, no, I know. I have some friends that are going through that right now. One friend that you know, just went through it was very, very costly for them. And did they, did their insurance cover it? Um, what, the, the one friend that's going through it now, he works for the state, which has a very generous insurance program. His, his plan does cover it. And another friend works for um, like a commercial bank. Theirs did too, actually. But I didn't know that ours does. Oh, well. Um, well, Disney has enough money. They can cover a sure. lot of things, you know? Yeah. So I, well, I used to work for Turner, I guess. I, who owned us at the time? It was a CNN, whatever. They covered up the three tries back in the day. Really? They were, they were like the pioneers. Yeah. So, um, you don't, I mean, that's fine that Disney is, 
planning to help people pay for their gender reassignment surgery, in your view, then? I think health insurance should pay for a lot of things. Yeah, well, so do I. <laughs> um, now, there's also a great deal of controversy because there's this new Disney movie about Buzz Lightyear, and they have a same-sex kiss. Yes. Now, do the same principles that you were talking about earlier, about not sexualizing children at too young of, a, of an age, do they apply here? Would you prefer there not be a same-sex kiss here? They do not apply here, and I'm going to tell you why. Wonderful. I mean, you, you, yeah. you have, you know, in the media, you will see these things, again, organically. And when questions come up about anything, boys and girls, doesn't matter, they come up. Uh, Snow White, somebody kisses somebody, doesn't Doesn't someone, doesn't somebody right, uh, kiss the, Snow White to wake her up? I think a prince. Okay, so it's the same thing. So if this, I think it's two females. Uh, characters in in this Buds Lightyear film that kiss. It's the same thing, right? Okay, so you're normalizing. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you are. It, this is inclusion. This is where it belongs, in my opinion, because it's the media. Now, you can choose not to show your child a certain film at a certain age. Like, I'm not showing my kids um, horror films that I would watch or even things of an adult nature, um, like even a reality show that I would watch at this age, right? So you have control. It's parents' choice, okay? It's fine um, to see two people kiss. I mean, people, parent, kids see their parents kiss. They see relatives kiss. It's not a big deal. So having two uh, people of the same sex kiss, no, it's perfectly fine. I was watching a cooking show, like a baking show on Netflix. Have you seen this Don't baking show? Don't tell me they had same sex kisses on this baking show. No, they didn't have same sex kisses, but one of the contestants was gay. Mm. Or a couple of them were actually, but the one um, that was a finalist, you know, he was talking about what he was going to bake and he was uh, he was talking about his husband and how he baked this certain thing for his husband and my older daughter, who's eight, just turned to me and she goes, okay, so he has a husband. That means he's gay. And I said, yep, that's what that means. And that was it. And then she started asking all kinds of questions like, what did two men wear on their wedding day? And that kind of thing, you know? And that's perfectly – that's normal. Right. <laughs> you know? That is a normal thing to ask and it's fine. And then if – it whatever comes up, comes up. And as a parent, I will handle it. I don't need the department of – education and then the board of ed and it's certainly not governor murphy telling my kids um about birth control and and anything relative to that um in elementary school i mean please as soon as they start talking about that stuff goodbye tooth fairy goodbye childhood goodbye because it all all the magic goes away if you don't know where babies come from you think it they just kind of fall from the skies sure. right yeah. as soon as you start telling them the real deal. Sure. I mean, why can't we pr preserve their childhood as long as possible? I, I think that's been the age old argument about uh, allowing uh, sex education to age, be taught. Age old argument. Do you talk no. about this a lot? Really? I feel like I've heard about it since I was in school. Stop. Yeah. Really? I mean, I feel like there, this has been a dispute for a long time. The new aspect of it, I think is the gender identity Well, when did you have it. sex ed? I don't you know, understand. I was trying to remember as you were going through all this, certainly by the uh, by the sixth grade. Stop. Yeah. Okay. So like I'm trying to remember if it was in the fifth also. I don't. You know, I, I actually think there was some because um, I, I, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I don't remember if I had it in in elementary school, but certainly by the sixth grade. 
Really? Okay. Well, then that changed since I was in school because I feel like if I'm remembering correctly, it wasn't until high school. Well, you might be right. I, I mean, mean, I... But I, God, I, mean, I have no I, idea. My point is, is this debate about about when uh, children should start learning about this kind of thing. It's been going on for a long time. That mm. that has been going on, especially in our area, for a long time. A couple of people want to comment uh, on this. Well, Wild Fred is in Newark. Uh, what makes you so wild, Fred? No, that's Will Fred. Ah, must be a a Mollyism. That's all right. Uh, I like Wild Fred better, actually. Yeah. Well, I want to tell you that you got to realize America is under under attack. That's why all these things are happening, not by accident. The reason they're pushing that gender identity and stuff is because they want to mess up American culture. It's like they got rid of the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts, put them together. All these things are absolutely ridiculous, but since the PC... People be sprayed to say stuff. You know, they call you a, a racist or something. You should say, hey, I'm an American. We don't do that. Uh, well, all right, Wilfred, any reaction? I, um, I don't remember them getting rid of the Boy and Girl Scouts. They well, still... no, they do. well, they admit girls to the Boy Scouts. They don't call it the Boy Scouts anymore. Now it's the BSA. It used to be the Boy Scouts of America, but now because girls can serve in it, they don't called the Boy Scouts. But the Girl really Scouts anymore. still exist, just the Girl Scouts. Yes. As my my understanding is, Girl Scouts are still the Girl Scouts, but girls can also be in the Boy Scouts. That's my <laughs> understanding. Uh, Jeff is in Suffolk County. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Frank. I just want to interject, uh, being 67 years old, I did have a health class where they did touch on a little sex education, and, you know, they talked about venereal diseases, diseases and all of that, but they never touched on the... Uh, gay lesbian crap you know yeah I, yeah i didn't have that either um but um w- what age was that it's for more you, about the where age you learned about venereal disease and so forth well i was uh probably 16 17 oh, well see that's that's say. older I, I mean that's that's high ago. school yeah, that I was, yeah, I was talking to my friend Sarah about this. I'm like, do you remember? Cause she's like, it was all about diseases. She said the same exact right. thing, and she's not 67 years old, but she she was like, and it was in high school, and that's high basically school. what yeah. they focus, well, focus so on. No, I, I'm I'm fully fine with uh, waiting until high school for that kind of thing. That's fine. Charles is in Queens. Hello, Charles. Hi, hi. hi. First, I want to say great interview, and say her name right, Marlene Shibel is very bright lady very bright, and she's 100% correct, except I feel much stronger even than she does. And it's not that I'm a prude, that I'm 73 years old, and oh, we're talking about sex. It's total destruction of, 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 of the future. In the name of inclusion, will destroy 99.5% of, of, of the children. In the name of inclusion, will destroy 99.5%. It's so sick, even discussing it, in my opinion, which you're right should discuss it because it got to a point that we have to. But discussing it is equivalent, in my opinion, what's right? Is, is it right? Is it the right way to do it? Is equivalent to discussing, did the Holocaust happen? Was there slavery in America? Let's discuss. Maybe there, was, maybe there wasn't slavery. Maybe there wasn't the Holocaust. Maybe it's a myth. I have to know about five dozen, if not more, Holocaust survivors. All right, well, but you know, point, I think you don't have to convince us. We're, we're pretty convinced I, the Holocaust I, I, occurred. I know that. I don't doubt that at all. But I'm just trying to say, it, it, 
it needs to be discussed because it got to this point. But it's got nothing to do with inclusion. It's like just like Black Lives Matter. Black Lives do matter. But the Black Lives Matter, um, the uh, Marxist movement is total fraud. They're building, they're building, uh, they're uh, buying. Uh, all right, Charles. Know, uh, thank you. Appreciate it. We're getting a little off the beaten path there. All right, uh, Marlena, we now have to end the show at um, 4.58.40. Uh, mm-hmm. So we have a minute and 20 seconds left to talk. And we're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a bit. But uh, my wife, who is a, um, you know, she interviews people for this column that she writes for Newsday. She said the best responses that she gets from people is never a question that she thinks to ask. But it's towards the end of an interview when she asks, um, is there anything else that you want to add or that I should include? So I thought maybe I would include that with you. today. <laughs> okay. Is there anything else that you want to add? I'm going to add more to this gender thing based Please on do. that last caller, because, um, again, it's it's not that they're trying to change society. Um, I think that they're just trying to adjust to what the society that we're living in now. You cannot change someone's. Um, ideas about their gender um, that didn't already exist. I remember a, a girl I used to work with who became a friend. Um, I barely knew her, and we were talking about a guy she went out with, and she said to me, I wish I could meet a guy um, with your personality. I want the male version of you. So I are already existed. It was just a nice compliment, I guess, but I already exist, Right. But this woman is or this girl was gay. I mean, excuse me, straight. So there was no convincing her that the female version of me would do. Right. right. So like people are who they are. Right. Um, and now, you know, they're just trying to include more um, information for people to understand. The only issue is everything has become so politically correct that it's. It, it's making it hard for people to speak half the time. Ugh, that is for sure. Um, my goodness. All right, Marlena, it is always a treat having you. Have fun in Florida. Have fun at your many Easter celebrations. Please send Easter bunny pictures. <laughs> Can we count on you to post some of those Easter bunny pictures on your... Uh... I can't even guarantee that I'm going to see the Easter bunny, but if I do, I will send and post Are you still your doing request. your uh, Substack thing? Oh, by the way, yes, I am. So I um, started writing. It's not done. And it's called Follow the Silence, mm. a parent's guide to public schools. Uh, so if people want to follow you on Substack or subscribe, how can they do that? Uh, just go to Substack um, and put in my name, Marlena Shivo, and yeah. I will pop up. A- outstanding. Uh, you'll actually pop up right out of the computer. I screen. will. I like, will come like out a, of a your computer. Cake. I like it. Like a Marlena NFT. It'll be a right hologram up. and you can speak to me personally. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Most of the time. All right. Uh, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a minute. If you want to be heard for 15 seconds, you can call 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano with you until 458.40. Straight ahead.
That's right. Stevie G and the the Destroyers. Uh, One of our two, the other side of midnight themes. Very kind to... See, we like Pete Dominic. We crowdsource all the production on this show. Um, Very kind enough to record this theme song. All right. Uh, I'm about to call it a week and leave you in the capable hands of Deb Valentine for the early news. Coming up on the Bernie and Sid show, an action-packed Bernie and Sid show. You know who's going to be on the show? Nick Langworthy, the state Republican chairman, criminal defense attorney Joe Tacopina, Bill O'Reilly, and Congressman Tom Swazi. Now, why is it Tom Swazi accepting my invitation to be on this show? What's his story? That's what I'd like to know about it. Uh, but I've told him he might come on next week, so we'll we'll wait another week before criticizing him heavily. All right, without further ado, it's your opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds on any subject. It is time for The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Richard is in Manhattan. Neil is on Staten Island. Yeah, Marlena, do you really want the girls coming home and telling you that mommy has the penis and daddy has the vagina? Bob is in the Bronx. We the Janine Machine by Richard Blasberg and Twisted Justice at CNN.com. Janine Machine by Richard Blasberg and Twisted Justice at CNN.com. Janine Pierce, the criminal of fraud, is sent an instant news to cop to prison. Uh, Russell is in White Plains. Boys can be creative, loving, and joyful. Girls can be competitive, logical, and rude. To say a feminine boy is not a real boy is the truly oppressive ideology. But as Marlene's child gets grows older, she'll see there is such a thing as social contagion, contagion and gay recruitment in schools. Len is in Sullivan County. Hey, I got we can't forget about the age of innocence. You know, when does it start? When does it stop? It's up to the parents to make them realize that. And uh, you know, I I had. Uh, health class in high school and we only learned because we were there we're still during the draft and we're still learning about stuff mike is in new jersey hello frank frank a relaxing weekend for you and the family and about that bag full of extra large jumbo shrimp i bet you there wasn't a shrimp in the bag just take it back to the shrimp store fred is in yonkers happy easter frank hey what was it the first time i got my punchline stepped on I used to work for the Arthur Murray Dance Company. <laughs> See, now he's afraid to use the rim shot. Chris is in Mount Vernon. Hey, Frank, I'm going to miss you tomorrow. Great show as always. By the way, I did see a boy in a Girl Scouts uniform over the weekend. Oh. So they, they do exist. doesn't matter. But whatever. It is what it is. All right. That was the, ja- the Jackie Robinson of Girl Scouts. All right. That's Lens Lit on things for today. Frank Moreno, good day.